down to the Sweet 16, on to the free agency machine. The NBA playoffs are just a month away as baseball players prepare for opening day. You're listening to the 3rd and 3 podcast brought to you by Anchor Radio and presented by the Sports Column. We're one short of our hole today, Damian, but we'll do our best to make Nikki proud, bro. Oh, definitely. We always got to make her proud when she's not here. She's enjoying herself uh, down there in Florida in your neighborhood. Um, but, you know, we'll go ahead and make do until next week. But we got an exciting show, so I'm pretty sure we'll be able to do okay this week. Oh, yeah, we, we definitely do. We have a real exciting show. Um, we're going to be going over the madness of the tournament, and it's definitely been madness already so far. And what to look forward to with a very special guest today. Frank Fear is going to be on with us a little bit later. And he is the man of the company that represents this very show. And he has a lot of knowledge about the mid-majors who have been doing very well in this crazy tournament. And speaking of crazy tournaments, we got one of our own coming up. 64 of the greatest male athletes that ever lived. Yes, we're doing it. We're breaking it down just like March Madness style. But it is the greatest individual athletes and it's in certain sports. We'll go over it when we get to that part. But that's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to need your help with it. We'll explain later, no doubt. So here we go, getting ready for the show with the shout out first. Damian, would you like the honors? Yes. So for my shout out this week, it's more of a broad shout out. I just want to give a shout out to everybody who is in this game right now. Podcasting, writing, grinding, and it's still going. It could be a a game where sometimes it feels like you're not going anywhere. And if you get that one shout out or that one listener or the, that one person responds to what you're saying, and it really keeps you going. Uh, so for like today, for me, uh, sometimes I drive for Lyft and this morning I was listening back to my podcast and the dryer and the passenger, excuse me, was talking about how much he liked the show. He didn't know. He didn't pick up that. It was me, but he was. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Just talking about how much he liked the show and, and he asked, like, what's the name of the show? And once I told him the name, he picked up on it. I was like, oh, that's you. And subscribe. So just little stuff here and there, man, that keeps us going. So for all the podcasters out there who are listening, who have this dream of, you know, making your podcast a success, keep going, man. That's absolutely awesome, bro. Freaking, first of all, great story. I love that. Uh, and yeah, you know what? To everybody who's 
grinding, doing what we're doing also. A shout out to them. I'm totally with you, man. Shout out. They don't understand what, you know, we put behind it and everything. Yeah, we don't really rehearse, obviously. We just do what we do. But still, you know, to sit here and barely have a commercial break and go over everything and have to be factual and know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's not easy. You know, there are great podcasts and there aren't the best in the world. So you got to do your homework, man. And I really like that. So for the ones who are doing their homework out there, I'm with you. Great shout out. Mine today is going to a young man named Kadeen McElwain. You can find him at Awakened McElway, and that's Awakened M-C-E-L-W-A-I. Young man with many gifts. He creates these extremely interesting stories on the sports column, actually, and he relates to two sports. Um, he made he made this uh, one with uh, drag racing called the 999 drag racing, and all these different characters and made it into like a movie. So this kid, he works tirelessly. He's always pumping out articles, constantly writing uh, new ideas all the time. Very creative mind. And in fact, two of the top rated articles from last year were by Kadeem. And he's, he's a young man. I don't want to give his age. I don't know if he wants me to or not, but he, he puts in a lot of work speaking to people who do. So I definitely wanted to give him a shot at over here today. And uh, he deserves it. And so do the rest of the podcasters, like you said, these the great way to start out. And uh, you know how else we start out? We got our neighborhood news, bro. You ready to do this thing? Yes, sir. Yeah, it seems to keep uh, being all about NFL free agency, but Damien and I definitely both want to pay our respects to the fam- family of Elgin Baylor. Died at 86 years old. God bless. Did live a good long life. And he was my last pick in our draft, actually. So irony, whatever you want to call it. But great basketball player that people really don't know about because he was back in the 50s, 60s or whatever. But do you know how great Elgin Baylor was? When he was on the court, it was like, wow, that guy is something else. People marvel at him. Yeah, no, he definitely was ahead of his time. Um, I talked about him a little bit on my show on The Real Deal with Damian Adams uh, that I recorded on yesterday. He... Like when you look at his stats, it's unreal. It's definitely just unreal. Uh, it is a rookie averaging 25 and 15 rebounds and got better from there. Like that's the crazy part. Like he averaged that much as a rookie and got better as his career progressed. And his production was just unmatched. And the fact that he, during his career had seasons where he couldn't play full seasons because he was also in the army reserves. That's it, right. It's absolutely nuts, man. And he was also a good executive who went through a lot with the Clippers as well. So, yes, rest in peace to Elgin Baylor and our condolences go out to his family and friends. Absolutely. No doubt. And the whole NBA world definitely lost a great one right there. Hate to start off with bad news. But all right, let's get uh, well, just one more thing and we're going to get it out of the way. I don't know this number now growing to 16 allegations from different women against Deshaun Watson. One of them they found already to be completely false. So, you know, again, we we can't speculate. We have to wait. But I mean, it went from one to 16 in in a blink of an eye. And that just makes you wonder sometimes one way or the other, like, all right, where did everybody, everybody come from now? And again, I I don't want to speculate nothing, but it just had to be mentioned because we are a show. We give out the news and here we go. Let's see, you know, a guy who was at tremendous heights now wanting to ask for a trade and now has to deal with all this. Um, I don't know. I don't know, man, but we'll see what happens. Um, a different Deshaun, Deshaun Jackson, still in the game at 34 years old, signing a one-year deal with the Rams. So 
D, if they're keeping, you know, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, do you think that Deshaun Jackson with that strong arm of Matt Stafford could be, I don't want to say the missing piece, but definitely a productive piece if he can stay healthy? Yeah, he still can be productive. He's still very fast. Not a problem, with, you know, with him is can he stay healthy? Can he play more than six, eight games in a season? Right, right. But you're not going to ask him to do too much, maybe come in, you know, not even play every down. But he's still going to be that deep threat. If he's on the field, the safety knows where Deshaun Jackson is, which opens up everything else for other receivers that you have that you mentioned are so talented. So he definitely can still be a factor. I agree. I totally agree. Some people are like waving it off. And I'm like, no, man, I'm like, this guy can, he can still run. You just don't kid yourself. He can, he's still really fast. Maybe he doesn't have the whole route tree, but you know, he, like you said, he's going to make that safety wonder, which will open things up for uh, some of these other guys over here. You're hundred percent. Right. The bucks just keep keeping everybody 21 of 22 starters returning now, including the Kinsu. He's the latest to come back. Everybody's coming back on that team. So they have to do like nothing this offseason. It's amazing. Um, I want to ask you a question, and I'm going to try to do it with a straight face. Why did the Bills sign Mitch Trubisky and give him anything more than a dollar fifty? <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, you know, you, you need a backup, you know. That, okay, that's one answer. <laughs> <laughs> and he is honestly. A lot of teams want to have their backup as the same kind of style as the starter. So if you look at Trubisky and Josh Allen, Trubisky does have some Josh Allen traits. Now, they're, of course, they're way down the line. But if you're looking for somebody as a backup, just in case Allen gets hurt, that could run that same system, be mobile, has a good arm, maybe gets in your system and can play well as a backup. So I'm not mad at the signing as a backup QB, and he knows that he's you know a backup coming in. So, you know, under, you know, you need a backup, so you sign Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, but I do like your explanation, and I do agree with that fact. That was the only thing that stuck out in my mind. It's like, okay, they play similar styles. Uh, Trubisky, you know, definitely more of a runner. It doesn't have the arm of Allen, uh, you know, obviously, but I see what you're saying and the similarities, and it makes sense. So he's getting $2.5 million to hold the clipboard. Uh, hopefully that's what Josh Allen is hoping for. God forbid the man gets hurt. So uh, going to Nikki's team real quick, they got Kenny Galladay. She bitched him on the bat. She finally got him. They gave him a lot of money, bro. $72 million over four years. And they get uh, Kyle Rudolph, which is not too bad. So Galladay real quick. I mean, he's a good wide receiver, but he's not worth that much. Yeah, I guess because this offseason didn't have that many big-time receivers, he came out as the guy that you needed. Um, he does have really good stats, but when you watch him, it's more of a, he can catch the contested balls. So is that the ball that Daniel Jones wants to throw? It's going to be the thing, mm-hmm. right? With Stafford, he's more willing to take that risk. He has the arm where he knows exactly where to put it. And of course, playing with Megatron early in his career, he probably became a master at throwing the contested jump ball. So with Daniel Jones, do you see him throwing that to Galladay and can Galladay work in that system? We'll see. They're definitely paying him a lot to be that guy. So we'll see what happens. They do have weapons there in giant land now. Yeah, they do. They do. The defense played well last year. So, you know, a piece here or there and, you know, sure up that offensive line and we could be seeing them in the playoffs sometime soon. It's very possible. A team that almost made the playoffs this year is the Dolphins and they grabbed Will Fuller. We're talking about a guy who's trying to stay healthy when he is healthy. He is phenomenal. I mean, a lot of that had to do with Sean Watson, 
who we were talking about before, but um, Fuller's getting $10.6 million this year, so we'll see how much he helps out Tua and the other receivers, Devontae Parker. Um, Patriots staying busy, signing Kyle Van Noy, getting him back. The Texans are making so many moves. Desmond King, they signed Philip Lindsley to go along with uh, Mark Ingram. Then they go ahead and they get Tyrod Taylor. Um, I mean, not bad. Look, for, look, for a team who had nothing and was like the laughing stock of the NFL, they're not making monster moves, but they are making moves to get guys in position and to at least have a respectable team. Yeah, no, they're going to be respectable. The Tyrod Taylor signing may be underrated with what's going on with Deshaun Watson. You know, even if nothing comes up, up of it, you know, legally, he may face being on the exempt list or he may face some time off. Right. You have a quarterback there who can lead you in the right direction, who has experience in this league being a starter. That's a good pickup. I totally agree. I absolutely agree. It is. And yeah, they were definitely looking forward, hoping that this wouldn't happen, but things do happen. And it's not like Deshaun Watson wants to be there to begin with. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, are he's going to stay with Pittsburgh? You know, no big deal. Okay. The Raiders, I like a lot of the moves they're making, man. They're making a lot of moves. You know, we talked about a lot of them before, but they get now Kenyon Drake to spell Josh Jacobs here and there. Plus, they get Yannick Ngakwe now. He's been on, well, like 10 teams in the last three years, so I'm not sure about that one. But they also get Solomon Thomas. Uh, we talked about it a little bit last week. Joe Flacco signing with the Eagles. Do you think he's going to start? No, I think he's there to be a veteran backup. The reason they signed okay. someone like him is that – they don't want it to be any type of competition with Jalen Hurts. If it would have been anybody of any type of consequence, as soon as Hurts had some type of struggles, you might have heard those calls from the fans. But with Flacco, the fans aren't going to call for Flacco. No, no, they're not. And I'm glad that didn't have to happen with my 49ers as he visited San Francisco. I'm like, no, 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 please, please, please. Like, that guy beat us in the Super Bowl. I don't even want him anywhere near the freaking team, for God's sake, back in 2013. Uh, the Colts bringing back T.Y. Hilton uh, for another year, $10 million. Uh, we know he's definitely been on the downslide and having injuries and everything, but it's familiar for him, and that should help out Carson Wentz get you know, acclim- acclimated with uh, the offense. So I think that's a good thing. They got Michael Pittman Jr. on the other side is turning into a stud. Uh, your boy Jared Cook is out of New Orleans. Uh, they had to replace Hunter Henry, so the Chargers picked him up. And um, Hunter Henry, like I said, going to Foxborough. So Jared Cook now with the Chargers. Uh, Washington, we talked about. They signed Curtis Samuel last week. I do like that a lot to go along with Terry McLaurin and see if they pick up another wide receiver in the draft. Now the Vikings get Patrick Peterson for one year, $10 million. I thought that was a little cheap, but I know that he's not what he once was. But I think for the Vikings, that's an excellent move because that's where they need help. Yeah, no, they need help. And you take a one-year flyer on a guy who, you know, is a former All-Pro. Like you said, he, last year wasn't his best year, especially like when you look at the advanced stats when it comes to him covering his receiver. But if you can get him back to somewhat back to what he was, you got a really good cornerback there. Um, you know, Xavier Rhodes, who was just there, kind of had a comeback year last year. So That's right. Maybe with Peterson, he does the same thing, but for Minnesota instead of not in Minnesota. Right. There you go. There you go. We'll see. I, so I, I really like that move. You know, so far, that's definitely one of my favorites. I like that a lot. 
Um, the Seahawks, uh, you know, I, just trying to make Russell Wilson as happy as possible. They gave him a, another weapon at tight end in Gerald Everett, who was former Ram now. Uh, Chris Carson is staying there. They made a deal with him, the running back. So, you know, they're just trying to make Russell Wilson as happy as possible. And he's not going anywhere this year. I don't know when he's going anywhere or if he's going. I'm really not sure at this point what's going to happen because he's going to cost a lot of money. And you know my thing, you pay a quarterback a gazillion dollars, you know, the rest of your team is going to suffer for it. So we'll see what happens with that right there. Um, but yeah, let me ask you, let me ask you first, before we get into applause and tomatoes, Russell Wilson in Seattle and all this coming out over the past, I don't know, a few weeks or whatever it is, do you see it more as him using leverage or do you think that he really wants to get his, get out of Seattle where it looked like it was the perfect marriage for all these years. I think he's frustrated. I don't know if he really wants out, but he definitely wanted his voice to be heard. And you said that they were making moves to make him happy. The one thing they didn't address was the O-line. Right, right. And, and that's the, and that's the you know, his point of contention right there. So for me, I think he wants to be heard. It's hard to picture him wanting out, especially we've always heard he had a good relationship with Pete Carroll, with the team, he's always been so pro team. Ends every interview with Go Hawks, and he's just right. in Seattle. But he's getting older. He's now seeing what the business is of football, and is no longer the kid who came in as a third round pick, just happy to be on the field. You know, happy to be one of the thirty two starters. He always says, "You know, I have one of the best thirty two jobs in the world." And maybe he now he's looking at it as, "I am one of the best five to do this." And I can dictate where I go or dictate my situation. I think that's what he's trying to do. I don't know if he really wants out because, again, he sort of requested a trade. He never came out and said, I want out. Right? That's right. True. So I think it was him just expressing his frustration. Yeah, I, and you know what? And I can see that. And he's somebody who's kept his mouth shut and went to work every single day for the past however many years he's been in the league now, eight, nine, whatever it is. So you know what? He deserves to say something, and I back him no problem. I, I know how good of a guy he is and how great of a player he is. So I back him. Yeah, you got to speak up. You got to speak up sometimes. And if you don't, my, one thing my father always taught me, Dean, he said, if you don't ask, you're not going to get. And I'm like, yeah, that, that sounds kind of greedy. But he goes, well, it's the truth, man. He goes, if you don't ask for something that you want or, you know, whatever it may be, then it, you're not going to get it or nobody else is going to bring it up. So, you know what? Good for us. And I hope things, you know, work out for him personally, not necessarily Seattle. But that's another story for another day. <laughs> 49 is baby. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> All right. This is normally uh, Nikki's like favorite over here on Claws and Tomatoes, which we're going to get to right now. So are you going Nikki style and throwing them tomatoes first or are you feel like clapping it up? <laughs> nah, in honor of Nikki, I will throw tomatoes first. All right. So I'm going to throw my tomatoes at Nick Young. Um, so Nick Young, a.k.a. Swaggy P. Yep. He's a nine-year NBA vet. And this past week, we all know March Madness is going on. And a big story that went over social media was the difference between the way the men and women were treated when it came to their benefits as far as the weight room, the food they got, uh, the swag bags. The men's stuff was way better than the women's, right? The women, their food was like TV dinners. Uh, the oh. weight room was just these weights that you might see like your mom might have that she used to work out from time to time. It wasn't yep. you know, 
professional style or even college style weights that you would have at a facility. Uh, and even the swag bags didn't compare it to the men's. And so it was a big thing. So Nick Young commented on one of the posts where they were showing the differences between the men's and women's stuff and just came off real ignorant um, saying that the women don't generate revenue and this is why and this is why you don't have the stuff basically to paraphrase what he said and I have to throw tomatoes at him because first of all it's college so it's supposed to be pure it's not supposed to be about what they generate right so right right they should be getting both even stuff when it comes to the swag bags the weight room the food especially the food come on there's no way you should be feeding them substandard food compared to the men absolutely so for nick young to say that was just extremely stupid and anybody who felt that way is just a dumb argument because you're not going to for example, Ohio State is going to bring in more revenue than Oral Roberts, but you're not going to treat Ohio State better than Oral Roberts because they're the same tournament, right? And turns <laughs> out Oral Roberts was able to beat Ohio State. So it wouldn't be right either That's right. to treat Oral Roberts just because they're a smaller college and give them less at the same tournament than Ohio State. The women's tournament is just as important as the men's. They deserve to be treated equally. So Nick Young, all the tomatoes getting thrown at you. I hope you got on white so it stains. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, that's very well done by you, bro, especially during Women's Month. And I know what you're talking about, obviously, and, you know, showing the pictures of the women's weights, like you said, like really honestly looking like, yeah, like your mom can go grab a couple of five-pound dumbbells and, you know, do that for 15 minutes and it's all over compared to what the men have. And you're so right. You hit it head on. Uh, yeah, he, Nick, he definitely should not have said that. I don't know why. I don't know what you were thinking. I don't know what you were on at the point. Um, I, I just really, I really don't get that. That's something that you keep to yourself, even if you believe it. That, that to me, it's ridiculous. So I, I no, I'm with you all the way. That that's a really good one. I join you on the tomatoes over there. Don't don't be that. Don't don't do that. That's bad news. All right, my tomatoes. Uh, I'm sticking in the NBA also, and. I was almost going to make this like my unpopular opinion, but I think it's getting more popular. So it's here's my tomatoes thing. I'm tired of hearing that today's players, today's NBA stars couldn't play back in the day with those other guys. It's really nonsense at this point. The players today are twice the size of the guys that played back then. So I don't want to hear that they can't go to the hole and take a hit. I want to see you go to the hole and and take a hit from Zion Williamson, okay? So, like, the whole pre-Magic Bird era. You know, Magic wasn't a brawler. He was just the best player in basketball. He didn't have to go around roughhousing. Would he stand up for himself like Michael Jordan did when he was the best player? Yeah, absolutely. But, again, we got to understand. I, I know different eras in the way calls are different, but basketball players, professionals, can accumulate to whatever style is going on. They've changed the rules with zone defense, this and that, three-point line. We can go on and on and on and on. Don't tell me that the players today can't hang with the players of the 70s or the 60s. It's a bunch of BS. You had three or four seven-footers. Now you have them all over the place, and they can shoot three-pointers. So, again, my point is the guys are bigger than they were then, and the rules, whatever rules you want to apply to, 
if you're a better basketball player or as good, whatever you want to say, you're going to win the game in team camaraderie fashion, however it may be. So I just think that that's a bunch of nonsense. And I was one of those guys who said back in the day, yeah, you know, I don't know, LeBron James going in the hole against those Detroit Pistons of the late 80s. But you know what? LeBron James is a six foot nine, 260 pound monster. He doesn't have a freaking ounce of fat on him. He would crush Dennis Rodman down low. He would make Bill Lane Beer look like a child. All right. So I don't want to hear it anymore. Those are my tomatoes. You old folk, stop saying it. Charles Barkley, I don't want to hear it anymore as much as I love you. Stop with it. The, I don't know if you agree or not, but I, the players today are probably better than the players of yesteryear pre-Magic Bird era, and they can play with them any day, any time, any era, any court, anywhere, any state. Yeah, no, I totally agree with what you're saying. When you look at the players of today and the skill level of the players today, there's a lot of players from back in the day who couldn't play today, who may have been effective back then, but wouldn't be on the court today. So you look at somebody like Charles Oakley, right? He's a New York Knicks legend. A lot of people love him, but he wouldn't be able to play today. Couldn't shoot, wouldn't be able to defend most power forwards today because power forwards are more like the small forwards of yesteryear. So when you right. think about the players today, the players who stand out from back in the day are the players who could play today, but not everybody could. The role players from back in the day most likely couldn't play today. Only the stars could. And the role players today would be stars, especially back in like the 60s. Like I remember Robert Ory talking about it one time. Robert Ory is like, you know, he was a role player his whole career, you know, big shot Rob. But Robert Ory is like, Robert Ory was a 6'10 small forward. Like he was kind of ahead of his time when it came to his size. And right. stretch four as he got older. And he was like, man, if I played back when Bill Russell played, I would have been an alien compared to those guys. He's right. <laughs> He's right. Because they would have not knew what to do with somebody like that, moving the way he did, shooting the way he did. So the skill level just gets better and better as we go forward. And we have we can appreciate players from back in the past, but we have to realize that players today are better skill-wise. And like you said, LeBron is the same size as Carl Malone, but plays like a point guard. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, if, if anything, I would I would agree with you more saying that the players from back then would have a much harder time playing against the players today. I think it's the opposite. So that's why I throw the tomatoes at, uh, you know, these 70-year-olds who keep saying, oh, well, you never saw uh, Bob Cousy play back in the day. That's right, I didn't because I wasn't freaking born yet. But that doesn't mean that he's better than Isaiah Thomas. You know, so just shut up. I don't want to hear it. Anyway, my applause is really quick. It's to the NCAA tournament for making it absolutely crazy like we thought. We talked about it last week, the day before it started, or two days before it started. If there's a year where there's going to be like a 12 seed who's going to win it, and you know how much I love Oregon State because it's the entire state, they could actually win, you know, whatever. I mean, just Oral Roberts, unbelievable. So I'm loving how it's going, and I love the madness of it, and that's why they call it March Madness. So shout out also again to those mid-major teams who are making this happen but we'll talk about with Frank fear coming up in a little bit. So that's yeah. my applause. Nice and simple. I'm totally with you on your applause. Love what I've been seeing so far. I knew a 15 seat would go far this year. I just picked the wrong one. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, I didn't do too well myself. bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My bracket is was totally done after like the first, like three games. It was ridiculous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Um, but for my applause this week, I want to give my applause out to Candace Parker. Um, Candace Parker, you guys know, WNBA superstar who's still in the league now. Um, just won Defensive Player of the Year last year. And I want to give my applause out to her because she's transitioning into an excellent analyst. Um, when you watch TNT on Tuesday nights, mm -hmm. she does a great job. Um, her, D-Wade, and Shaq have a great chemistry. And a lot of people criticize the Tuesday night crew because they're not the Thursday night crew. Let them be them, right? <laughs> they're not, they're not going to be the legendary Ernie, right. Kenny, Chuck, and Shaq. But they have their own chemistry. They're bringing like a younger feel to it. You know, Dwayne Wade is recently out the league. Like I said, Candace Park is still playing. Shaq is, you know, young at heart. So it's always going to, they're going to have a younger feel to it, but they also have that TNT yeah. feel that they have. And Candace Parker, you know, teasing Shaq and messing with Shaq. And uh, the other night, the, the host, uh, <laughs> the one initiating the conversation, introduced Candace Parker as Defensive Player of the Year, Candace Parker. And Shaq was like, oh, you want Defensive Player of the Year? And Candace was like, you better take that surprise out your voice. So it's just <laughs> their chemistry that they have. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wanted to give my applause to Candace Parker. That's awesome. Good for her. <laughs> you know what? I'm with you. I, and I got to tell you, uh, since Candace Parker's been my favorite WNBA player ever, ever. It was Lisa Leslie, and then it went to Candace Parker. And I, I and also, I, I, this is nothing to do with it. I think she's actually beautiful. I think she's just absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. And what a player. I mean, yeah, she she's fantastic. And the way that she's evolved and moved through and, Seeing her as a kid, you know, 18 in college, and, and I'm not sure how old she is now, but you're right. She's doing her thing. She's amazing. Oh, Candace Parker, great call right there. All right, you know what? We're going to get our Mount Player player in before we get to uh, our quick break over here, and uh, we're going to come back with our greatest athletes bracket. But before that, Mount Player play is the AFC South this week. We're going to go through the division, and right away we have the – champion of the division is the Tennessee Titans who just got Bud Dupree to try to you know jolt the defense a little bit where they had problems last year um do you think they go defense team yeah I think so because that was their biggest weakness last year was defense uh, I think secondary would be my thing to go to now where they're picking at I don't know if there's going to be like a stud corner or a stud safety there um, but they definitely need to go secondary in the draft. Maybe they find that diamond in the rough that we don't know about there, but they definitely need to go ahead and do that. Yeah, look, uh, yeah, look. it looks like things are going pretty good, you know, offensively, obviously, you know, the big-time receiver, big-time running back, and, you know, very good quarterback, you know, underrated in a lot of ways for a long time, but now we're seeing what Ryan Tannehill can do. Uh, I'm with you 100%. Um, Got to go defense. You know, get even another pass rusher. But, um, yeah, when they, they lost a couple of guys in the secondary over the past few years, including um, Logan Ryan, I think it was um, off the top of my head. I'm, I'm having trouble remember, again, getting old over here. But, yes, yeah, secondary, very important. Um, you know, in that division now, Carson Wentz, they're going to be throwing the ball down the field. We'll see what Trevor Lawrence is going to do, how they're going to run their offense. So it's a passing league. Go, yeah, yeah, go secondary. I'm into that. What about Indianapolis? I would go secondary with them as well. Um, their defense is very good, um, but cornerback is the one weakness where you could 
find your holes there. A lot of reasons they play a zone is because I believe their cornerbacks may not be good enough to play man on a consistent basis. So I would go cornerback for them. Or if there's a wide receiver that they like that they can add to the Pittman and T.Y. combo and make it a trio, I would go there. You see, now that's what I was thinking also because of where they're drafting. Let me get the exact number of where they are. It is 20. Uh, I'm sorry. Give me a second. Because that's why I'm thinking why 21. Okay. That's why I'm thinking myself wide receiver. They're pretty good at the old line. Um, there's, you know, you always want to add guys on there. So if there's a great old lineman still sticking around, I say, yeah, maybe, protect, you know, get him, get more protection. Oh, excuse me. Sorry about that. And uh, uh, so that's where I would go. Also, if they can, if there's a great wide receiver, which is probably going to be on the board at that spot, I would go there also to help out that offense. Because T.Y. Hilton, Michael Pittman Jr., yeah, that's pretty good, but you need to get a little bit better. So I think they really need a one. So again, we're in agreement over here now. Houston, which is just like, okay, what the hell are we going to do over here? They got Tyrod Taylor, so I don't know. They could end up drafting uh, a quarterback if. Deshaun Watson, I don't know what's going to happen over there, um, but they need help all over the place. So the, the first place I go always the offensive line, defensive line. When you have such a bad team, you have to build from the inside out. So I would be picking defensive linemen and offensive linemen throughout this entire draft if I was the Texans. Yeah, I like that as well. Like you said, they need help everywhere, though. So best player available. Whoever they think is the best player at that spot, get them. <laughs> it's just you know, yeah. whoever it may be you just get the most talent you can get yeah that that's true look and that's another thing yeah there's such a standout talent they have a need at every single position now so you're 100 percent right will fuller's not there anymore not like he was half the season anyway always getting hurt now moving on to the jaguars also who finished fourth last year as we know who have the first pick in the draft they'll get trevor lawrence so they got their quarterback they got their running back james robinson dj chark um okay he's pretty much the only wide receiver there for the most part so i think you need to get weapons but their defense has got problems also so again i would you know they're gonna get trevor lawrence and then they're gonna have a few more high picks as the rounds go on i think they're gonna have to get him help at wide receiver um but also they're gonna have to really bulk up on defense if they're gonna have any chance in this division going forward in the next couple of years. You gotta bulk up on D, but you gotta go find yourself a, a top wide receiver out there somewhere, if possible, in the beginning of the second round. I agree with that, but also I keep hearing that this is a tackle heavy draft and you wanna protect that asset at the number one overall pick. If there's a great, you know, who you believe could be a great tackle on the offensive line in the beginning of that second round, I would go there. Well, that sure makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. There's no doubt. Um, I agree. If there is an offensive tackle out there, and if it is, you know, especially a left tackle, yeah, you want to do that. You want to protect his blind side. So I don't have a problem with that. You know, I'm again, I'm a guy who likes to, again, build from the inside out. But when you talk about teams like Houston and Jacksonville, we need just about everything right now, except Jags, who will get their quarterback and we'll see how he pans out and what he turns out to be. Yeah. You, you really got to go after the best players sometimes. So those two teams at the bottom are going to have problems for a bit, but Tennessee and Indy, I think, are going to be around for a while. We're going to be around for a while. We're coming back after the 60-second break with the greatest male athletes of all time bracket. You guys are going to freaking love this. Back in 60. 
This one goes out to my nigga Mike Cooley. Born ducking, heartless and mean, mugging at 16 on the scene, watching beans bugging, kicking up dust with the older jeans, soaking up the game that was told to me. I ain't never touched the gap that I could shoot. I learned not to trust. I'm headed from the prostitutes with taught lessons. A young man asking questions while other suckers was guessing I was gangster sexing. Elementary wasn't meant for me. Cake for credit. I'm headed for the penitentiary and cut the class in the fucking blasting straight magic. Robbing through the overpass, laughing. Probably something. A future ought to pick a brow. No doubt. The jealous I make the cloud. Tell me, though, can you feel me? I keep my finger on the trigger because some Jake trying to kill me. And mama raised the hellraiser. Every day getting. Hey, police, I'm a pager. Straight stressing. A fugitive my occupation is under question. Wanted for investigation. I even know I'm on for death. I'm a smoke till I lose my breath. Watch me. Yeah, yes. We are live. We are back in action over here. Third and three podcast. Giving you the breakdown on the AFC South. What they need to be doing in the offseason. We had our opinions, our uh, tomatoes, and we had our applause, and we went through NFL free agency, we did a whole bunch of stuff, and now we're bringing something new to you guys. This is freaking awesome, and we're going to need your help. There's no doubt about it, because this is the best male professional sports athletes of all time tournament, so we do have 64 team, six teams, 64 individual athletes, greatest of all time, as pan-picked by the gods of sports themselves. And we're going to have polls going on throughout the week where you're going to help us pick the winner of each one of these tournament brackets. So as we go through it, you're going to help us out. We need you. So listen up, and we're going to put the polls out during the course of the week. Damien, I am excited for this. You ready to go, bro? Yeah, man, I'm really excited. Some great matchups here. Talking about the 64 greatest athletes of all time. And also, we're not perfect. So if we missed anybody, let us know if we missed anybody in our brackets. Hey, that's true. That's right. Some Exactly. Some of you guys may think, oh, well, how come this one didn't belong? We're up for the debate. We're up for the, uh, for the discussion, whatever it may be. And we can't wait to hear it all. So, hey, let's begin. Number one seed versus 16 seed. We got four of them like we do in March Madness. Here we go. Number one, here, D. Muhammad Ali, number one seed versus 16 seed Aaron Rodgers. Now, I love Aaron Rodgers, there's no doubt. And I think that he is, like I've said, maybe the best quarterback I've ever seen in my life. His accolades don't say that. Muhammad Ali's does. And a lot of Muhammad Ali is not just what he did in the ring, but outside the ring also. And, D, you know the fact that he had to take three years off before he had to come back and be the champion again. So that's really tough to beat. (laughs) Yeah. Now, Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest of all time, but he just ran into a juggernaut here in Muhammad Ali. Like you mentioned, when it comes to inside the ring and outside the ring, his influence on boxing and all of sports. You know, so, so many people look to Muhammad Ali as inspiration because of his quotes uh, the way he talked trash, everything that goes along with him. So, sorry, Aaron Rodgers. We have to go with Muhammad Ali here. Yeah, yeah. I think that most people may agree, and unless they've never seen Muhammad Ali fight, and then you got problems yourselves right there. All right, our next number one versus 16 matchup. Again, somebody who may have just ran into one of the GOATs. We got Tom Brady at number one, obviously, and 
We have so many great athletes in here that a number 16 is Dr. J, Damien. What about that matchup? Yeah, another tough one for Dr. J. You know, Tom Brady with seven Super Bowls, you know, 10 appearances, even all the passing records that he does have and is going to take away from Drew Brees next year. Uh, you just can't do it. You know, Dr. J is definitely one of the most influential basketball players of all time. Without him, we don't see the high flying that we see today or that we saw from Jordan, Vince Carter, all those guys. So you definitely have to respect Dr. J, but it's not a match for Tom Brady. Yeah, that's that's exactly the problem. I'm with you. Dr. J was Michael Jordan before Jordan. He was Dominique before Dominique Wilkins. And Dr. He was the guy. He was the flashy one bringing it all out. And he did it spectacularly in the ABA and NBA. But Tom Brady, you, you said it all. I don't even have to repeat it, man. That's just unbelievable what he has done. In, incredible. So, yeah, going to have to probably lean Tom Brady. And I think that most people will probably agree. Let's see what they think about this one. You talk about influence. A number 16 seed could even be higher, but Jackie Robinson, not again, off the field, on the field, the influence, amazing. But he ran into LeBron James, who some think are, is the greatest basketball player of all time, Ding. Yeah. An- another one, Jackie Robinson was great. And also, you know, he was, his influence is so big that people forget how great of a player he was. Right. The fact that he was able to be the first African-American player in the major leagues is because he was so good and also had a demeanor to be able to handle all the things that came along with that. Um, But LeBron James, the longevity of his career, the fact that he's still the best player in the world right now in year 18 is simply amazing. Four-time MVP. The accolades go on and on. So I got to go with LeBron in this matchup. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, part of me really wants to pick Jackie Robinson. I'm not going to lie to you, but LeBron James, I mean, we were talking about athlete. I mean, he's going to be known as not just one of the best basketball players that ever lived, but one of the greatest athletes of all time anywhere. So, yeah, it's kind of hard to argue with that one. And when we talk about basketball players and the best of all time, you're obviously not going to leave out Michael Jordan, who is also a number one seed. Going against the number 16, who might be the best player in baseball right now certainly not ever but Mike Trout and Mike Trout look he can do it all he be he's a 5-2 player you guys know that expression he can play in, in the field he hits like crazy he's on a crappy team so no championships Michael Jordan speaks for itself <laughs> yeah Michael Jordan he, like you said six-time NBA champion five-time regular season MVP six finals MVPs all the accolades, 10 times scoring champion. It goes on and on. Uh, Mike Trout has all the individual accolades, but like you said, in baseball, it's hard for an individual, very hard for an individual to carry his team to team success. But in basketball, you can do it if you have someone who's great enough, like Jordan, like LeBron. Uh, so with Mike Trout, you don't have that postseason success or that team success to go along with his resume, which hurts him here against the great Michael Jordan. So I got to go with the number one seed in this one. Yeah, you know, had he, you know, won a couple of championships, he probably wouldn't be a 16 seed. He'd be a little bit higher and wouldn't have to face Jordan in the first round. But that's just tough luck for uh, Mike Trout over there. He's going to have to go fishing now as he's probably going to be out of the tournament. <laughs> All right, let's do our two through 15s. Okay, so with our two and 15 matchups, the first one we have a number two seed is Jerry Rice versus Allen Iverson. What are your thoughts on this match? this matchup right here, Jay? 
I mean, Allen Iverson was so fun to watch and so skilled and obviously extremely small for, you know, an NBA player nowadays that we talk about. But he probably could have played with those, you know, other guys, you know, back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever you want. So skilled, so amazing. Crossover dribble, Jordan. Nobody's ever going to forget that. But Jerry Rice is the best damn wide receiver that ever lived. So let's get real over here. I'm sorry, Allen Iverson, but you can't hold the candle to Jerry Rice and all of his accolades. And still, after retiring, what, 20 years ago, whatever it is, still holding all these records. Yeah, no, it's absolutely ridiculous when you look at Jerry Rice's numbers, what he was able to do, not only when he was younger in San Francisco, but what he did in Oakland when he got older with, you know, Rich Gannon at QB. Jerry Rice was absolutely amazing. But like you said, Allen Iverson, his impact culture-wise was amazing, right? Uh, he changed the NBA forever as far as bringing hip-hop into the NBA, which is still a big part of the NBA now. And when you see players wearing sleeves on their arms, that's Allen Iverson. Players being tatted up, that's Allen Iverson. So his impact culturally will definitely be just around forever. So we have to give respect to Allen Iverson, but – Jerry Rice is that guy. Yeah, but that's a hell of a point about Al Iverson. I like that, the Good one right there. All right. So for our next matchup, we have number two seed Floyd Mayweather Jr. going against 15 seed Larry Fitzgerald. Oof. You know, you just feel so bad for Larry Fitzgerald, second all-time behind who we were talking about, Jerry Rice uh, in catches. The guy the best hands when we were making up the best wide receiver. I mean, hands, forget about it. It was a trifecta between me, you, and Nikki. But Floyd Mayweather never lost the fight. And his defense, and I'm all about defense, his defense was his offense. He's like, you're not going to hit me, but I'm going to hit you. And it may not hurt that much, but eventually it's going to wear on you. And I'm going to either end up winning by decision or you're going to get knocked down at some point. But he refused to lose. He just would not lose. And I give him credit for even stepping in the ring at 40 years old and fighting Conor McGregor, who could have drop-kicked him at any point that he wanted. So Floyd, amazing. Yeah, you know, I'm a big Floyd Mayweather fan. I have him as my GOAT in boxing. A lot of people find that to be controversial, but he's definitely in the conversation when you talk about the greatest boxer of all time. Larry Fitzgerald is in the conversation for greatest wide receiver, but Jerry Rice is just so astronomical with his numbers that it kind of overshadows other wide receivers but Larry Fitzgerald is definitely going to go down first ballot hall of famer but he's not going to be the goat of his sport like Floyd Mayweather is an argument for being so I gotta go with Floyd on this one right I agree yeah it's not going to be like a top five yeah I agree with that one right there all right going good so far let's keep it rocking all right so for our next matchup we have our number two seed Magic Johnson going against number 15 Ray Lewis Do you hear these athletes that we're putting out already? We, we haven't even got through. Remember, we were only two rounds in already, or, you know, the second bracket. Um, but Ray Lewis is one of my favorite players of all time. He might even be the best middle linebacker. That's definitely an argument to be made, but I loved watching him play. But I, I fell in love with Magic Johnson. I told you, I would start my basketball team with him any day. He'd be the first guy I picked. Not saying he's better than Michael Jordan, but Magic is like, just, I don't know, a combination of like LeBron and Jordan somehow. The way that he came in and Kareem went out in the first year's rookie year, everything. Magic Johnson, five championships with the Lakers, could have had more after the AIDS thing we all know in 1991. Terrible. But as much as I love Ray Lewis, I got to take Magic. Yeah, now nah, this one is tough because, like you said, Ray Lewis may be the best at his position of all time. 
right? So you, you have the best middle linebacker versus the best point guard of all time. And <laughs> with Ray Lewis, he also was the center of maybe the greatest defense of all time in the 2000 Baltimore Ravens. Um, you have the argument with the 85 Bears, but 2000 Ravens are definitely in that conversation. They're the best I've ever seen. You know, I wasn't around for the 85 Bears, but that 2000 yeah. <laughs> Ravens defense was absolutely amazing. Just crazy to watch. And with Magic, he just was so different. Like a lot of times now you hear the term unicorn when it comes to these different types of players. And Magic may have been the first unicorn, meaning that he was just a one of a kind at six nine point guard who can post up and play center if needed. We saw it in his rookie year when Kareem got hurt in the finals. Yep. So you think about the versatility of Magic and his impact on the league. Got to go Magic Johnson here. But man, Ray Lewis, if he would have got a different matchup, he might have won. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I got to tell you, man, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he got a, quite a few votes, 15 versus two. He, he may be the Oral Roberts of the tournament. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now he might get some. I wouldn't be surprised either. All right. So for our next matchup, we have Jim Brown at the number two seed versus number 15 seed Nolan Ryan. Yeah, man. Look, all right. Here's the thing. Nolan Ryan, great, great strikeout. I mean, he struck out everybody. Um he, he pitched till he, I think he was like 46 years old, which is also insane. Um, he's a compiler. I mean, I'm not saying, he, look, he's a great pitcher, but he compiled a lot. He didn't have a great ERA, um, but he's got seven no-hitters, so he definitely belongs there. But when you put him up against Jim Brown, who was like a defensive lineman in running backs clothing, running over everybody and you know, basically could have had any record if you wanted to had he not retired early. And you talk about him as a lacrosse player also, but Jim Brown, the running back, still people call him the best running back of all time. So I, I will definitively take Jim Brown here. Yeah, I have to go with Jim Brown as well. Like you said, he could have kept on playing. He reti- The year he retired, he ran for over 1,000 yards and still was over 4.5 yards per carry. So he was an absolute monster and retired to become an actor. Like let, that lets you know how the NFL has changed in far as far as what the players making money. No player today is going to retire just to be an actor. Um, but yeah. back then it was more money in acting than it was in playing football and you know hurting yourself. So Jim Brown made the you know the business decision after nine seasons. But absolute monster while he played. So got to go Jim Brown there for our last two versus fifteen matchup there. Yep, and plus his relevance off the field. Uh, yeah, we could talk about that for a whole nother show, what, what he did. Amazing. And still talked about today in such high regard. All right, we're up to our three versus 14 matchups. And our number three for this one, we got the great Joe Montana, 4-0 in Super Bowls against the late great Marvin Hagler, ironically. And no, he's Marvin Hagler's not in here because he passed away. It's, he's in here because he belongs in here. So Montana and Hagler, man, what do you think? Uh, this is a really tough one. Um, but Joe Montana, I have as the second greatest quarterback of all time. And when you think about what he did during the playoffs, that's what separates him from other quarterbacks, his accuracy. He was somebody who was able to get a 70% completion rate back when that was unheard of. Right. <laughs> um, so for him to do that in the 80s, early 90s, shows you how great he truly was multiple times Super Bowl champion. You as a 49ers fan definitely know about him, but um, I have to give him the edge over marvelous Marvin Hagler. Uh, Marvin Hagler, definitely one of the best boxers of all time. 
only three losses on his resume, and you can make an argument for all three losses going the wrong way as far as the decision. Uh, but and probably one of the greatest fights, if not the greatest fight of all time, with Thomas Hearns. But I gotta go Joe Montana because of the playoff legacy and the Super Bowl success. Yeah, we talked a lot about Hagler last week and how fantastic he was in the ring and told people to watch clips, especially that three-round bout with uh, with Tommy Hearns. But, yeah, I'm going Joe over here because of all the accolades. And you're right. I mean, his pinpoint accuracy was just absolutely ridiculous. All right, number three. Another number three. We got Sugar Ray Robinson versus Brett Favre. I'll, I'll say this real quick. I'm a, Brett Favre, I, I always hated him as a football player because Green Bay and 49ers had their problems, yada, yada, yada. People forget that Favre went to the Jets for a year. That could be a fun trivia question in 20 years. Um, but to me, he can't hold the candle to Sugar Ray Robinson, who may be pound for pound the best boxer of all time. Yeah, Sugar Ray Robinson, you look at the amount of fights that he fought. Just crazy. Insane. Uh, yeah, it definitely wouldn't happen today. Uh, with Brett Favre, he is somebody who I have him top 10 quarterback of all time, like right at that 10 edge uh, because of all the interceptions. Like if he was less turnover prone, he could be the greatest of all time with the arm talent he had, the mentality oh, yeah. he had, um, but yep. he just turned the ball over so much. And when he didn't turn the ball over and he won those MVPs in the 90s, it was absolutely great to see. And he was, was a very fun player. I thought it was a little overblown at times because of you know Madden calling the games and people like oh look at the childlike enthusiasm of Brett Favre we get it <laughs> <laughs> but uh but he definitely was a great player but like you said it doesn't hold a candle to Sugar Ray Robinson so I gotta go yeah. with the three seat on this one yeah again you guys gotta go you know you had to go back in time a little bit and watch the videos of Sugar Ray Robinson there is a Sugar Ray Leonard and he's fantastic too but check out Sugar Ray Robinson all right here we go this one's very interesting. Number three, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, or sometimes known as Lou Alcindor, versus number 14 seed, Terrell Owens. And we've been talking about making up our perfect wide receivers, and he was in quite a few categories. Kareem, all-time leading scorer, five-time NBA champion, uh, just unbelievable. So we're talking about two unbelievable athletes here, uh, D. I, it, it's, t- it's tough to pick one, but I don't know. I think I know where I'm going. Yeah, this is actually a tough one for me. Um, Terrell Owens is in that conversation for greatest receiver of all time. If you're not looking at the stats, you're just looking at their impact on the game it combined with their stats and right. what, what they can do to change the outcome of a game from the wide receiver position. T.O. is definitely up there. Um, but Kareem, man, when you think about him in totality, high school dominated, college dominated so much that he changed the rules. Yep. <laughs> Uh, NBA came in and dominated right away. Got a championship with Oscar Robinson with the Bucks, and then went on to the Lakers to get five more. Just in six total MVPs, the most unstoppable move in NBA history with the sky hook. Great defender as well, and played for a very long time. We talk about LeBron James longevity. Kareem wasn't at LeBron James level in year 18, but was still very good. So got to give oh, yeah. Kareem credit on that. So I have to go with Kareem here, but it's not your normal 314 blowout. I agree. I agree. It's it's really not a normal 314 blowout unless it's this year's March Madness tournament. But uh, no, I'm still going Kareem, and that's that's why I picked him first overall in your NBA uh, uh, draft because of everything you just said. So Kareem for me, 
And here we go with the final three, verse 14. It's Willie Mays. Yes, Willie Mays. Hey, the say hey kid. First, Dirk Nowitzki. Don't don't be fooled, Dirk. He, he's up there, man. One of the one of the better ones, you know, not of you know, all time, all time, but you know, he, you got to talk about this guy. And he was one of those other players, D, that we know kind of like revolutionized the game a little bit, being seven one, shooting three pointers. Willie Mays, we didn't get to see him play live, but again, a 5-2 player, and a lot of people say that he's the greatest baseball player that ever lived. So which way do you go here? I know you're a huge NBA guy, and Dirk is tremendous, even beating the Heat in the finals, but what do you think? Yeah, I have to go with the reputation of Willie Mays on this one and with, you know, just trust the knowledge of the baseball fans that I know who say that Willie Mays was absolutely amazing you know, and with me, I always remember the highlight that I always see of him catching the ball over his head. Yes. Which you don't, you don't see so many baseball players do. I don't, I think I saw maybe Jim Edmonds do it once. Um, yeah. Catch like that. That's right. Very good. Um, but mm-hmm. it's something that, you know, baseball players aren't going to do too often because it's so hard to track a baseball that way. Um, but Dirk Nowinski, just to give him a shout out. Top 20 player of all time. One of the best power force to ever do it. Uh, like you said, change the game, being able to stretch the floor out. Now, you know, a seven-footer shooting a three now isn't that crazy. But when Dirk right. was doing it, it was something different to see. And uh, where he came from, you know, everybody thought he was soft because he was coming from Europe and being able to change that perspective on people, change the fact that they that perception of European players started changing with Dirk Nowinski. Um, of course, there were a few before that, but Dirk Nowinski really – changed the perspective for a long time now and was able, now you look at Luka Dantich and those type of guys, um, they didn't have to go through what Dirk went through as far as trying to, people trying to bully him and stuff like that on the court. Um, but Dirk stood up to it all, won an MVP, won a championship and did it all for the Dallas Mavericks. So much respect to Dirk, but I got to go with Willie Mays on this one. Yeah, man. Yep. I'm going with the say hey kid too, no doubt. All right. That's the three and 14 bracket. Now we're up to the four versus 13 bracket. Okay, so for this first matchup, man, this is a tough one. Uh, number four seed is Larry Bird going against number 13, Randy Moss. D, I, I'm so stuck here with this one. I mean, Randy Moss, again, one of the best wide receivers that ever lived and could have even been better had his workout, you know, regimen been better. Larry Bird, I mean, again, another guy who did everything on the court, and he was a badass, too. He was a tough dude. Wow, I'm I'm so stuck, man. Ugh. Larry Bird was so great, but I feel like there are better players, you know, more players that were better than him than maybe players better at Randy Moss position. So I don't know, man. I, I I'm I'm almost leaning Randy Moss over here because, like I said, I mean Larry Bird, as fantastic as he is, we may have to go down. I don't know, ten players before we eight to 10 players before we get to this position, but Randy Moss, some say he's one, two or three at the very worst. So I don't know. I may go Moss here, man. Oh man. Yeah. This, this is Randy wow. Moss. Yeah. Randy Moss. When you talk about wide receivers, he's another one who could be greats of all time. And when you talk about just what he was able to do, we discussed it on the show. The fact that getting Moss became a thing, like a, right. his name <laughs> became a verb tells you how good he was now with Larry Bird he was awesome him and Magic helped bring the NBA to what it is today like they they revived it and then Jordan 
like brought to life and helping mature into a full grown person. And now <laughs> it's, it's thriving, you know, on a whole different level. Um, but that's an interesting comparison you made when you count, you talk about their position, right? So Randy Moss could be at, at worst, number four at receiver, right? If you put Larry in front of him at, at worst. At worst, yeah, yeah, I agree. With Larry Bird, if you want to count to just specifically small forwards, you would put LeBron ahead of him. You may put Kevin Durant ahead of him. Mm-hmm, yep. So you, that- you start looking at a small forward position with Larry, even though Larry can be underrated at times because he was a great passer as well, great rebounder. Um, but defensively, he had his challenges at times. Um, but Larry also had three straight MVPs. Championships. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go with Larry Bird in a very close matchup. Overtime buzzer beater for Larry Bird. I like that. That's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty good. Now, now you explain that well. You're right. Three MVPs. And yeah, that's that's tough. Yeah, that that's maybe our toughest matchup so far. All right. I like it. Let's keep All it rocking. Right. So for our next one, these two guys, if you talk about best players to not win a championship, they're both in that conversation. Mm. Uh, Barry Bonds versus Charles Barkley. I like the way you put that. That was that was a good opening for these two guys. Despite all the steroids and everything, Barry Bonds was a great player before that. The steroids, just like a lot of other people who took him or other things, whatever, to make him stronger – Bounds, his, his eye-hand coordination was incredible. Barkley was great. It was almost like, you know, how is this roundabout guy doing all these things on the court? But he was fantastic. But I, I, I still have to go Bonds because he was also a great uh, outfielder. So he was an, another 5-2 player. And even despite the steroids and taking him out, I have to go Bonds here. Yeah. For me, I don't hold the steroids against him. Maybe because I'm not a big baseball fan. But for me, it showed how great he really was because you had other people taking steroids and no one else was doing what he was doing. So it was like, yeah. it was like the, you added the excellent hand-eye coordination, the speed, the steal bases. Isn't he the only guy in the 500, 500 club when it comes to hitting home runs and stealing bases? Um, he, I think he is. I got to look that up. I got to look that up real quick, but yeah, he might be. And, and I, I'm with you. That's the point. Like everybody was taking performance enhancing drugs. So why just single him out? Yeah. So Barry Bonds may be the greatest baseball player of all time. Even though we just talked about Willie Mays and we're going to get to Babe Ruth here in a little bit. Barry Bonds had it all. But when you talk about Charles Barkley, the fact that he was six, five playing power forward. Yeah. His nickname because he was so good at getting rebounds at his size is a round mound of rebound. (laughs) (laughs) And he was, he's been so good on TV that it's overshadowed how great of a player he was. On the MVP during the time where Jordan was winning everything. Uh, When you look at the final series that the Bulls were in, that 93 series against the Phoenix Suns may be the toughest one they had. When you really look back at it, because Charles Barkley was such a matchup nightmare and was going back and forth with Jordan, scoring 50 in the finals, he was just, when people talk about Zion now, they compare him to Charles Barkley. But Charles also, from end to end, was faster than Zion and rebounded way better than Zion does right now. 
and he wasn't, you know, he didn't have a 48 inch vertical like Zion, but was also able to get high up in the air and do all the things he did. So I'm gonna go with my first upset. I'm gonna go with Charles Barkley over Barry Bonds in this one. All right, all right, I dig it, man. Okay, okay. So we got the first. Hey, we got two upsets in this round. All right, let's see what else happens. All right, for the next matchup, we got we got the new coach for Jackson State, Deion Sanders, uh, going yeah. against Dwayne Wade, Wade County. Who are you going with here? Well, I guess I'm going to get beat up next time I walk out of my house because I'm in Wade County right now. And uh, <laughs> uh, but Deion Sanders played two sports and he was great at both. And I heard John Smoltz say, former Atlanta Braves pitcher, said that if he didn't want to play football, he could have been maybe the best leadoff hitter of all time. So Deion, two-way player, I don't need to go into it much more, even though I love Dwayne Wade. And when he came out of Marquette, he made the heat viable right away, won that championship, and he was the best player in the court in 06. I love Dwayne Wade, but I'm sorry. He just doesn't beat Sanders for me. Yeah, Deion Sanders, like you said, two-sport athlete. So it's going to be tough athletically to match up with him. You have to come with accolades. Now, Dwayne Wade definitely has that with the finals MVP, three championships. Like you said, he came in right away when LeBron didn't make the playoffs his rookie year, when Carmelo got put out in the first round as a rookie. Dwayne Wade got the heat past my New Orleans Hornets. I remember it very vividly, um, yeah. him, him and Baron Davis going at it. And he was able to get the best of Baron Davis in that series and get you guys to the second round or get the heat to the second round, excuse me. Um, so, yeah, Dwayne Wade, much respect. But you got to go with primetime, man. Dion. We're gonna we're gonna talk more about Dion. I expect him to win it with the fan vote as well. So we'll definitely get more into him as the weeks go along. But just amazing. Yeah, I agree with you, brother. I agree. All right. For our next one, we have a number four seed, Peyton Manning. I hope I believe his birthday is today. So happy birthday, Peyton Manning. Oh, okay. And he is going against number thirteen seed, Mike Tyson, who just announced that he will be fighting Evander Holyfield uh, for the third time. When both guy, one guy is almost 60 and other guys in his mid fifties. Uh, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> so we're at Peyton Manning versus Mike Tyson. Who you got? Yeah. I look Tyson in his prime, obviously that, that short time, it, it was amazing, but he was, he was really fighting POS fighters. He really was until he ran into Lennox Lewis and Evander Holyfield. So Tyson really scared the crap out of everybody and won the fight before he even got into the ring. Peyton Manning, again, What I just don't know what more we can say about him. We both love him, D. I'm going Peyton Manning. I'm making it quick on this one. Again, being a coach on the field, running the offense, nobody ever read a defense as good as him. Maybe you can throw in a Tom Brady or whatever, but Peyton Manning, for me, winning Super Bowls with two different teams, yeah, I got him over Tyson, who is not the best boxer of all time. Yeah, uh, for people who know me, they know how I feel about Mike Tyson. He definitely had a great run from 86 to right at the beginning of 90 before he lost to Buster Douglas had a great run. Um, but that run, I believe, has been overrated by the highlight reel of the run. Mm -hmm. actually beat. Um, so for me, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but I believe he's the most overrated boxer of all time. And I have Peyton Manning, who I actually believe is the GOAT of quarterbacks. So I have to go with my GOAT, Peyton Manning, in this matchup. Yeah, there you go. That, that, I, I figured you would. I know how much you love him, and I love him too, no question. All right, so that was 4 through 13. Now we're going 5 versus 12. Here we go. Could get a little dicey here too. The first one, mm, we got Barry Sanders, who, you know, NFL legend, some say the great greatest running back of all time, 
first. Number 12, Kevin Garnett. And we know anything is possible, D. So what are you saying? <laughs> you know what? These guys actually have similar careers. And the difference is Barry Sanders didn't go to another team to win a championship. So if you, yeah. you think about Kevin Garnett, he was in Minnesota, who Minnesota hasn't been good since he left, which shows you what type of organization they've been. And Barry Sanders was in Detroit, <laughs> who hasn't been good pretty much since he left, which shows yeah, you what right. kind of organization they've been. But the difference is Kevin Garnett, of course, got traded to Boston, won a championship, and you know, the rest is history. Um, this is a tough one for me because Kevin Garnett is my favorite power forward of all time. And I believe he's the greatest defensive player of all time. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Okay. That's yeah. When you, when you look at Kevin Garnett, what he could do at seven foot one or seven foot, he can guard one through five. And that's back when they had real centers back then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He can guard one through five back then. If I believe he played today, he would guard one through five as well. And also hmm. somebody who could dribble the ball up the court. He was so versatile. And a lot of his years where he was at his best got lost because he was in Minnesota and they were losing in the first round because he didn't have much talent around him. But once he got talent around him in the 0304 season, he won MVP. They made it to the conference finals and eventually lost to the Lakers with Shaq, Kobe, Gary Payton, Carl Malone that year. Right. But he's absolute amazing defensive player of the year. Once he got to, and that's the thing he won defensive player of the year past his prime when he won it with Boston. Uh, so he's a monster, man. Uh, Barry Sanders, definitely amazing. We all know about the highlights, what he did. He could have easily been the all-time leading rusher in NFL history if he wanted to continue playing um, but didn't want to continue. Um, this is a really tough one for me, but 5-12 matchups tend to be that way. But I'm going to go with an upset. I'm going to go with Kevin Garnett over Barry Sanders. Wow, that is an upset. I'm I'm be real. That's an upset right there. I'm so, I, I know you I know you love KG and I, I do too. I, he was amazing. He was fantastic and I love that comparison you made between Detroit and Minnesota and how terrible their organization. That was that was really well done off the top of your head. I'm still going Barry Sanders even though I think Kevin Garnett is, you know, like you, he's way up there and I feel like he's underrated in a lot of in a lot of ways so I'm glad that you bring him out to the forefront in that way that's good but no I'm, I'm gonna still go with Barry Sanders on that one uh all right our next to number five matchup this should be fun Joe Lewis you're gonna have to go back again boxing over here because we're doing only and I should remind everybody we're doing boxing basketball football and baseball that's what we kept it to so no olympics no golf you're not going to see tiger woods in here you're not going to see wing gretzky in here uh, nothing like that no offense to them but this is what we decided to do so joe lewis is a five seed is going against pedro martinez as a number 12 seed and before i get your opinion d let's i just want to hear something you must be out of your goddamn man don't do it you're paying my i'll be with you boy in a minute he was bad in he bad in Sugar Ray. He bad in that. Who that? The new boy. Mike, 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 Mike. Look like a bulldog. He bad in him, too. He a whip. <laughs> he whip all that. <laughs> what about Rocky Marciano? Oh, there it go. There they go. Every time I start talking about boxing, a white man got to pull Rocky Marciano out there. That's the one. That's the one. Rocky Marciano. Rocky Marciano. Let me tell you something once all. Rocky Marciano was good. But the bad of Joe Lewis, Rocky Marciano ain't shit. Big Joe Lewis is ass. <laughs> That's right. He didn't want Joe Lewis ass. Joe Lewis is 75 years old. <laughs> I don't know how old he was. He got an ass look. Joe Lewis had come out of retirement to fight Rocky Marciano. The man was 76 years old. 
scene in any movie ever just ever d i love that i had to play it i just had to no oh, absolute oh. classic coming to oh. america like live for young people who may not have seen the first one go back and check it out it's on amazon so if you want to watch both of them back to back go ahead and check it out classic yeah. scene right there please oh what is i love <laughs> just absolutely love that scene so much fuck you fuck you fuck <laughs> you who's next <laughs> I beat Joe Lewis's ass. Joe Lewis, 137 years old. Frank Sinatra say, you never meet no Frank Sinatra. I fucking love it. All right, so let's let's get to it. Joe Lewis, I think you know where I'm going already over here. That's why I played that clip. Joe Lewis is, he was the heavyweight champion for 12 straight years. I mean, that's ridiculous. I know, again, we're talking a little bit more back in the day, but this guy is just an absolute monster, one of the best of all time. Pedro? Martinez, yeah, he was one of the best pitchers I've seen. Um, I'm not going to put him top five, maybe somewhere in the top ten with what he did. But Joe Lewis just knocking people out left and right all over the place. And Pedro, when it came time in the playoffs to make something happen, he couldn't do it. That's why I will definitely go with Joe Lewis over Pedro Martinez because of the lack of his playoff success. Yeah, I have to agree with you and go with – the guy, the guy who came through every time for 12 straight years in the heavyweight division. Um, Pedro, though, was my favorite pitcher when I was watching baseball. He was an absolute menace out there. And, you know, his the speed in which he was pitching the ball with at that time was absolutely ridiculous. So shout out to Pedro, but yeah, I got to go with Joe Lewis on this one. Yeah, yeah, Pedro was fantastic. Yeah, it looked like, uh, you know, they say when the ball drops off the table, the curveball, that's exactly what it was like, really hard to hit, man. All right, we talked about Babe Ruth before. Here he is, Babe Ruth. Um, we don't know if he really called his home run or not. It was back in 1742, but he's <laughs> coming up against number 12 seed, Manny Pacquiao, Damien. What do you think about this? And I know we don't know a lot about Babe Ruth. You know, he was just a big giant you know, stay puff marshmallow man who can hit home runs, but Mac, Manny Pacquiao can hit you right in the face a bunch of times before you can even blink. Yeah, Manny Pacquiao definitely one of the greatest boxers of all time. Probably top ten in my book all time. Um, even you know with some of the losses they took because they were so exciting, right? With Manny Pacquiao, every fight's gonna be exciting. The only one that wasn't exciting was the one that we were looking forward to the most was against Floyd Mayweather. But outside of that, amazing boxer, you know, Manny Pacquiao throughout all his years um babe Ruth. when you just look at his stats they're absolutely ridiculous and i know he didn't play against the best competition because the league wasn't open to everybody at that time but right. you have to respect what he did his legend right and you know the fact that even when i was growing up you see a movie like the sandlot it was about a ball signed by him that's how much of a legend um he was so or is so I'll have to go with Babe Ruth in this um and this one, um. But Manny Pacquiao puts up a good fight in this one. 
Yeah. Oh, I like that. Man Pacquiao does put up a good fight in this one. And yeah, just because of Babe Ruth and he's got 48 different nicknames, the Sultan, and the Swat and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I got to go with the Babe also. Last five through 12 matchup or five versus uh, 12, excuse me. Wilt Chamberlain, all right, a man amongst boys in his day, up against the leading rusher in NFL history, Emmett Smith. This is tough. It is. It's a very tough one. Um, but with Wilt, you question his competition, right? Because when he was dominating him and Bill Russell, who we'll get to here in a second, there weren't that many other people that were taller or as tall as them in the league, right? Right. And there's no, there's not enough footage of Wilt for us to appreciate it, right? We have no footage of the 100-point game. We just have the picture of him holding the 100-point sign. Um, yeah. But the stats, you know, are absolutely ridiculous for Wilt. The season where he averaged 50 points a game. Uh, he also had a season where he led the league in assists just because they said he couldn't do it. So, That's right. I'm just, I, you say I'm too selfish to do this. I'm going to lead the league in assists now. Um, so the, <laughs> the fact that he could do that and had the versatility to do that is absolutely crazy. Um, Emmett Smith, the longevity and the just dependability that he came with during his career matters so much. Uh, I believe sometimes he gets underrated because he played on such a great team in those early 90s with yep. the Cowboys. Uh, yep. But he was a very, he was a great running back. Wasn't as good as a Barry Sanders or Walter Payton, uh, even maybe an Adrian Peterson, maybe. But he was so good for so long that he has a record that probably will never get touched. And that that definitely should stand for something. Um, but I'm going to go with Will Chamberlain in this one just because of his dominance and the fact that he has a record in 50 points a game that won't be touched even by today's great players. Yeah, Laura, I don't even have to re- – you said it all right there. And Emmett Smith, um, I don't want to call him a compiler because he did what he did. No, he's not the greatest running back in NFL history. Um, but Will Chamberlain's more up there. And again, the way that they talk about him, he could have played a whole bunch of sports. He could have done almost anything he wanted. I mean, a lot of that will have to do with his height, but he was a great athlete, track, so on and so forth. So, yeah, he did his thing. No doubt about it. No question. So that is our final five through 12. Uh, I'm taking Wilt also with my man D over here. And now we get into the six verse 11. Do we have time for six verse 11 or do we need a break? Are we still good? We should be good to go here. Yes, we should be good to go for six through 11. Okay, let's rock it. Let's keep going then. All right. So for our first six through 11 matchup, we have Lennox Lewis versus Reggie White. Tough one. Oof. Yeah, Lennox Lewis underrated because, you know, a lot of people like to t- talk about Tyson, you know, and some other boxes, whatever it may be. But, man, Reggie White, I mean, he was the minister of defense. I know he's an 11 seat here going up against a six Lennox Lewis, who, again, very underrated. His jab was fantastic and his height helped him a lot. And he had a very hard punch and he was heavyweight champion. But I, I just Reggie White, you know. The Packers got him for a reason to go win his Super Bowl, and that's exactly what he did. May he rest in peace. I'm going to go with Reggie White over Lennox Lewis here. I'm going to take an upset, 11 over 6. Okay, I'm not mad at that choice. I'm going to go with Lennox in a close one, but I think with Lennox Lewis's resume is just so amazing. When you look at the era that he dominated, right, so 90s into the early 2000s, is just his resume is just crazy. He beat a who's who 
of boxers during that time. Tommy Morrison, Ray Mercer, uh, Andrew Galata, Oliver McCall, Evander Holyfield. Uh, he had David Tua, Hasim Rockman, Mike Tyson, where he just obliterated Tyson. Um, his last fight of his career, he defeated Vitaly Klitschko. After that fight, Klitschko went on to dominate the heavyweight division for like the next 10 years. Yeah, that's a good point. Good so point. His, yeah, his resume is very underrated. I think that his overall boxing skills underrated. A lot of people just think he was big, but he also had nice hooks, uppercuts. He had a total package at his size. Um, he only lost twice and avenged both losses. That's so he right. Beat, he beat everybody that he faced. Um, so I'm going to go with Lennox here in a very close one. And you make a, that's, you know, that's a hell of an argument, man. You really did. You're almost trying to tilt me the other way over here with that one. That's, that's an excellent argument. Yeah, I'm still going to stick with the Minister of Defense. But, yeah, again, Lennox Lewis, man, you described it perfectly. So I don't blame you for going him. All right, well done. All right, for our next matchup, we have Kobe Bryant at a 6 seed versus Pete Rose at a mm. 11 seed. Yeah, Pete Rose, man. I mean, you, you talk, he, tough guy. I mean, they called him Charlie Hustle. He would just run over you at home plate. He didn't care about his body, his life, anything. He just wanted to win baseball games and then gamble on them later on. But <laughs> Kobe Bryant is an absolute legend. Not that Pete Rose isn't a legend. He's a legend in some different ways. But Kobe, again, another one, may he rest in peace. I'm getting tired of saying may he rest in peace. My gosh. But Kobe Bryant was the second coming of Michael Jordan, if you want to you know, put it that way, before LeBron and everything like that. He's got five championships. When Shaq left, he led two of them, getting Paul Gasol to help him. Kobe Bryant for me, Dave, all the way. Yeah, Kobe Bryant. I would have to go with Kobe on this one as well. You mentioned five-time NBA champion. MVP also was a great defensive player made the first team all defensive team in NBA I believe that was 10 times um, 12 time total all defense so you think about his overall game like you said the closest thing we've seen to Michael and I don't think we're ever going to see anything close again so Kobe gets my vote on this one yeah man yeah I'm with you I'm with you it's Kobe what do we got next for the next matchup our number six seed is Bill Russell our number 11 is Ricky Henderson. This is a tough one for me, too. Uh, just realizing, and man, I wish I looked this over before I did. <laughs> all right, so Bill Russell, I mean, got, you know, legendary, all these championships and everything. But, you know, we alluded to before that him and Wilt were, you know, playing inferior competition, to put it lightly, I guess, um, even though there were plenty of other good players around. Ricky Henderson, again, when I talk five-tool, and I'm going to stop saying five-tool player, this guy did everything. I mean, before Barry Bonds, uh, you know, juiced up and Ricky Henderson led all time in walks and steals on base percentage. He was a leadoff hitter, all time home run, leadoff home runs. This guy's got a lot of records, man. And he went after it and he played for a while with the A's, the Yankees. I'm going to take an upset. I'm going to take Ricky Henderson over Bill Russell in this one. I know Russell's got a billion championships and he's the man and I love him. But Ricky Henderson, all around, it was a better athlete and a better player at his sport. That's my opinion, at least. Mm. Now, so you make a great argument. Um, with Bill Russell, he was a great defensive player. Um, but with Bill, he also had seven out of Hall of Famers on his team. And that's like when you think about the yeah. fact his team was so stacked. A lot of people like to say, you know, Bill Russell was beating Wilt. But Wilt, you know, for a long time was the only good player on his team until he got to the Lakers later on. Right. 
So with Bill, he had that going for him. And he was a great athlete as well. He's one of those guys who could play multiple sports. Um, but Ricky Henderson, man, he's a lot of people are baseball fans this day because of Ricky Henderson. Um, he brought so much style to the game. And like you said, great hitter, great fielder, greatest at stealing bases of all time. Um, so you make a strong argument. I'm going to go with Bill slightly in this one, a very close matchup, one of those buzzer beaters. But I'm going to go with Bill Russell in this one slightly. Yeah, I, I definitely, man, I mean, so all these championships in it, like Casey Jones and all the other guys that he played with, but yeah, Bill's fantastic. But yeah, I just think Ricky all around better athlete, but it's that's a good one. I'm looking forward to seeing what the fans say for that. All right, for the next one, number six seed is Sandy Koufax going against the number 11, Kevin Durant. Talk about a matchup of generations. Yeah, really. <laughs> I mean, you're not <laughs> Uh, Sandy Koufax, you know, guy, guy I never saw pitch live. Obviously, he was way back in the day, and his career was shorter um, as to you know, opposed to you know other greats. He only played for nine years. He just wore out his arm, but you know, he would pitch nine innings. There was never like there was no bullpen for him. Like everybody take a day off. Sandy Koufax is pitching. That's how great he was. And now we talk about Kevin Durant and how great he is. And there's still more left. And he's got championships and MVPs. And he's probably going to win another one this year. He's got his his ass on the court. This is tough. Sandy Koufax, top three pitcher of all time. Kevin Durant, not a top three basketball player of all time. God, I got to give it to Sandy Koufax by by an inch over here. Ooh. Ooh. Ew. (laughs) This one is definitely a tough one. I'm going to go with Kevin Durant in a close one um, because of the longevity of his career. Like you talked about the fact that he's still going, I believe it's year 14 for Kevin Durant now, which yeah. makes, me, makes me feel kind of old, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Cause I remember Kevin Durant first came out and the big talk was about how he can't, couldn't bench 185. And it was like, oh, the basketball doesn't weigh that much. You can shoot it. It's fine. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's Kevin Durant. Like you said, MVP, multiple time champion, and even though I'm not a fan of how he got his championships, you still have to give him respect the fact that once he got there, he was able to become the best player on a already great team in the Warriors. And now with this next team, once he comes back, they're going to be the favorite. Uh, with Sandy Koufax, like I said, way before both of our times, but you got to give respect to what he did. But Kevin Durant is a whole different animal. So I'm going with Kevin Durant in this matchup. Yeah, I hear you. Because when he's when it's all said and done with Kevin Durant, he's going to be looked at as you know at, probably at least a top ten player, maybe at worst or something like that. Because he he really is that special. But uh, just Sandy Koufax, his generation. I know it's it's totally different generations, but hey, that's what it is. Um, all right, we still got a seven first tens and our eight first nines. So let's roll through these before we bring on Frankie Fear. As long as we have time for it, uh, back to boxing. Number seven, Roy Jones Jr. Probably would have been a little bit uh, higher had he not run into, I don't even want to say his name. It gets me so mad because I love Roy Jones Jr. First, number 10, Lawrence Taylor. All right. Go for it, D. (laughs) Wow. Uh, (laughs) This one is tough. So Roy Jones Jr. is the reason I fell in love with boxing. So it's hard for me to go against Roy Jones Jr. I don't want to be biased. And we talk about Lawrence Taylor. When, you know, people like Bill Belichick say he's the greatest defensive player of all time, who am I to argue against Bill Belichick? Um, (laughs) Lawrence Taylor changed the game. The reason that we have outside linebackers today that rush the quarterback like they do is Lawrence Taylor. 
Uh, he was an absolute menace out there. And dang, man, this is a tough one. But Roy Jones, I've once said that I would take 1998 version of Roy Jones Jr. against anybody in history that is 200 pounds or less. So no mm-hmm. heavyweights, but anybody from cruiserweight on down, a 1998 version of Roy Jones Jr., I think is the best I've ever seen. Speed, yep. the power, the elusiveness. He was a great defensive fighter without even being defensively minded, right? Like with Floyd, his first thought is defense. With Roy, he's coming at you offensively, but he was so quick. His reflexes were so fast that you were still weren't able to hit him. He still has the only round in recorded history where the opponent didn't land a punch. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. Wow, that's yeah, amazing. It's against uh, Vinny Paziata, who wasn't a bad fighter. Like Vinny, Vinny oh, Paz yeah. was a former champion. So that's it wasn't right. like it was some bum he did this to. Um, wow, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, Roy Jones Jr., man. So I got to go Roy. Like I said, my favorite boxer of all time, the reason I fell in love with boxing. But it's an overtime matchup against Lawrence Taylor for me. Yeah, you see, it's so tough because Lawrence Taylor, he's the greatest probably in his position to ever do it, you know, rushing the quarterback from what you would call defensive end or outside linebacker style. Roy Jones Jr. was also and is also my favorite boxer of all time. And I remember when he won the de facto heavyweight championship against, uh, what's his name? Uh, John Ruiz. Uh, John Ruiz. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, John Ruiz. And Jones Jr., you're right. In in those late 90s, he was toying with people in the ring. I mean, literally toyed with them in the ring. That's how good he was. And defensively and offensively. So I I just, when he lost to Antonio Tarver, you know, I put it all on, okay, he's a southpaw, whatever he got, you know, but the first fight was a decision for Roy Jones Jr. And then Tarver knocked him out in the second round. It freaked me out. I couldn't believe it. I was going to have a heart attack. But (laughs) All around, Roy Jones Jr., his whole career, and I know he didn't fight every great fighter. I understand that. But I think that he was overall better than just Lawrence Taylor rushing against, you know, rushing the quarterback and breaking Joe Theismann in half. So I have to lean Roy Jones Jr. too. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. Tough matchup, but I'm going Roy Jones on this one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we got another tough matchup over here. The true home run king, as they say. Hank Aaron versus Mr. Triple Double before Russell Westbrook came around, Oscar Robertson. So Hank Aaron versus Oscar Robertson, two all-time greats at 7-10. and 10. That's how deep this tournament is. Yeah, this is a really tough one. Um, for me, I'm leaning Hank Aaron because of his consistency and how long he played. Oscar Robertson definitely didn't have a short career by any means. But uh, Hank Aaron was able to do it against, I believe, better competition at the time he was playing. Uh, Oscar Robinson, by the time the NBA was getting better competition, was getting a little older and needed Kareem to give him that first championship. Uh, And Hank Aaron, the fact that he was able to just consistently hit 40 home runs, like it was nothing. Like just every year, just 40, 40, it was nothing. Uh, So I'm going to go Hank Aaron. Like you said, you've talked about Hank Aaron in our, you know, private conversations that, how he was much more than just a home run hitter. So I have to lean on your baseball expertise here and go Hank Aaron over Oscar Robinson. I appreciate that a lot. And you know how much I love the big O. I picked him in our, in our draft that we had. And Hank Aaron, that's the thing. He never hit more than 50 home runs in a season, which 
never even hit 50 home runs in the season, but consistently in the 40s, like you said, which is incredible. And GD just said it. He was not just the home run hitter. His career batting average is 300. And you can do that and you can hit that many home runs. You, you, uh, he's just the real deal. I mean, I remember when he, when he bit, when he broke uh, Babe Ruth's, uh, Roger Maris's record, it was at the time, actually. And Hank Aaron running around and people running off. Uh, it was a couple, three people, I think, two or three people ran onto the field and were patting him on the back. I'm like, yeah, yeah, go. But he got so much crap because he was a black man about to break a white man's record in what was a white man's game. And that makes me sick even just saying it. But that was what the uh, politics of baseball were back then. There were people who were threatening Hank Aaron to not break Babe Ruth's record or Roger Maris's record. And you know what? That guy said, you know what? F you. I'm going to hit more home runs than them. And I'm going to hit a lot more home runs than them. So good for you, Hank Aaron, Hall of Famer, one of the best of all time. Sorry to be long-winded on that. Number seven over the big O. I got him there, too. Now you talk about another one of my favorites of all time, Tim Duncan, the big fundamental, another one of my drafts. Number seven, I fucking just, I love Tim Duncan so much. He's going up against Mickey Mantle. If Mickey wasn't a complete lush, then he might have been the best baseball player that ever lived because he was fantastic. He can do it all. Tim Duncan's going down as one of the greatest of all time. Mickey Mantle also, but Damian, you make the decision here. This is a tough one. Yeah, and that was definitely a tough one. Now, I have to lean on you when it comes to how good Mickey Mantle was. I've always heard his name. You know, he always comes up when baseball conversations. But when it comes to Mickey Mantle, was he in the same, you know, grasp or the same realm as, you know, say, a Ken Griffey Jr. or uh, Mickey or uh, a Willie Mays, Barry Bonds? Yeah, he absolutely was. Uh, the big thing is very long story short. Um, in center, they didn't, the grounds crew were not great back in the 60s, if you can imagine. So the field had little divots in it. Very long story short, Joe DiMaggio wanted to play center field and he was becoming the bigger, better hitter. And they put Mickey Mantle in right field. Mickey Mantle stepped in a ditch, busted up his legs so bad that he couldn't play the same that he was. But before that, and it was like 10 years in, he was that guy hitting 55, 56 home runs, batting 300, great outfielder. So he was everything that all these other ball players really were, to be honest with you, except that he was drinking on, you know, uh, I'm sorry, had a drinking problem and he wasn't always available. He let his teammates down at certain points because of that, but he had all the skill in the world. Gotcha. Gotcha. So in with Tim Duncan, he was kind of the complete opposite. Always there, always yeah. dependable. <laughs> um, he was that guy for so many years for San Antonio and the greatest power forward of all time. So because he is the greatest at his position, I'm going to go Tim Duncan, but much respect to Mickey Mantle and I love how you broke down his career. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm going to agree with you. Um, I, I love Mickey Mantle as a player. Amazing. I hear stories all the time about how great he was, but – I got to see Tim Duncan's whole career and how perfect he was in every. That's why he's called the big fundamental. He was just perfect. I love the guy. All right, last seven through ten matchup. Oh, here's another goodie. We got two basketball players going against each other for the first time in the tournament, I think. Number seven, Shaq Diesel versus Steph Curry at number 10. Woo! D, take it away because I don't know if I got breath for this one. 
<laughs> this this is a tough one. So it's basically two guys who change the game in different ways, right? So yeah. Shaq is the most dominant big man of the modern era, right? And he was so dominant that teams started following him because he was so dominant, but he wasn't dominant at the free throw line. Mm-hmm. So he had a whole shack, hack a shack rule made because of him. So now if you try to hack a player, you can't do it within the last two minutes of the game because of Shaq. Um, and with Steph Curry, he changed the game in a way that you might not like. We've talked about it before, but now the right. three point shot has become the main shot in basketball because Steph Curry was so good at it. Uh, two-time MVP, three-time NBA champion, uh, somebody who greatest shooter of all time already. Yeah. And it was yeah. pretty evident, like maybe five, six years ago already, that he was the greatest shooter of all time. And you're talking about, you know, a league history just full of shooters. And he was by far the greatest shooter of all time. So as tough as this may be, as shocking as it may be, I'm going to go Steph Curry over Shaq. You know what, man? I t- I agree. I really do. Look, Shaq was the most dominant player I've ever seen. Not best, dominant. Because when he was in the paint, the, he was just going to dunk it, and he'd take the foul, and he'll probably miss the foul shot, like you said. So that was his skill. And he can move for a big man. You know that. And, you know, for people yeah. who don't shoot for a big man. Steph Curry, like you said, changed the game in a different way, but – that's not why I'm taking Steph Curry. I'm with you because he can drive to the hole. We're talking about a guy who looked like he was four foot five and weighed 45 pounds soaking wet at Davidson. Davidson College. They haven't been in the freaking tournament since he left and they weren't in it before that. So that shows you how great he was back then. You know, he's got a brother in the league. His father played. This guy's got everything. And he may not be the greatest defensive player in the world. And I know Shaq has got him there. But Steph Curry can do so much more offensively that I would definitely rather have him on my team over Shaq. And I love Shaq, too, so that's saying a lot. So I agree with you, D. I do. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the vote is on that one. I can't wait for that one. Yeah, I know. Me too. Yeah, the 13 and the 14-year-olds that are on Twitter will definitely go for Steph Curry. (laughs) You know, we'll we'll see what happens there. That's true. All right. What were you going to say? I said, no, that's definitely very true. Yeah, yeah, the younger ones definitely, but oh, Shaq Diesel, it's, it's so hard for me to go against him. All right, last bracket, all right, out of our 64, then we're going to have 32 next week, just like that. Our eight versus nines, Damian, let's do it. So, yes, our first eight versus nine matchup, we have number eight seed Ted Williams versus number nine seed, the real deal of Vander Holyfield. Now, I mean, by default, I'm picking Evander Holyfield because he's the real deal, and so are you. So by default, I'm picking. <laughs> but no, in 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 all actuality, um, you know, Ted Williams is another one of those guys who was just like the best hitter you get. He's the last baseball player to hit over 400. Nobody's done it since him in 19. I I don't know what year it was 58 something like that. So that's incredible in itself. But. He kind of gets pushed by the wayside without his championships and everything. And Evander Holyfield, you and I have spoken. I know your feelings for Evander. He was that guy also to me, like Lennox, who didn't get enough credit, who was such a great fighter. I remember when he fought James Tony at cruiserweight before he had moved up to heavyweight. 
Van, and I remember, I'm like, who is this guy at Vander Holyfield? And I'm like 11 years old or 10, whatever it is. I'm like, what's going on with this dude? And then he starts beating the crap out of everybody. And he gave Hasim Rahman a whole nother head. I mean, so <laughs> that, that was crazy. I almost threw up and I almost had a heart attack. With yeah, that I remember head. that one. That was, so, that was the craziest night I've ever seen. Oh, my God. I, I, that, that made me sick. I, I was watching it with my mother, actually. And she said, what the hell is going on right now? freaked out i'm like i don't even know what to tell you what's happening but there's a head growing out of his head so evander holyfield uh you, you don't want to headbutt him that's for sure but um i'm gonna go with the real deal holyfield over here for real um over ted williams because evander holyfield was not afraid of anybody he was just such a great boxer tacticianer he made mike tyson look like look like a little boy in the ring that's what happened really dude yeah, no, I, you know how I feel about Evander Holyfield. One of the reasons my podcast is called The Real Deal with Damian Adams is because Evander Holyfield is my great, is my favorite heavyweight of all time. Um, and when you look at Evander's career, you talked about some of his cruiserweight fights, the greatest cruiserweight of all time, then moved up to heavyweight to become a four-time heavyweight champion. Absolutely ridiculous what he did during his career, um, fought during that 90s era where there were so many other great heavyweights and like you said, James Tony at Cruiserweight. So his resume is absolutely stunning. So I got to go with the real deal of Vander Holyfield in this one. No doubt. Love it. Vander moving on, baby. Vander moving on. Mike Tyson's not. And that's the way it should be. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll What's see. The, the fans might yeah, not agree street, with us. We'll see. You're yeah. right. You're right. It's up to the fans. We can say what we want, but uh, we're going to go with them. <laughs> so for our next matchup, this one, I don't know. So we have number eight seed sweetness, Walter Payton going against the kid at the number nine seed, Ken Griffey Jr. Oh my God. I'm getting the chills even thinking about this one. You're right. This is like total seesaw balance right here. Wow. I mean, Griffey, who they were saying is the next greatest baseball player of all time. You know, then he got hurt, went to Cincinnati, didn't fulfill out his career. That's probably why I'm going to go with Walter Payton. People say that he is the best running back of all time, second, third, whatever. Griffey was on his way to that, and he was hitting, you know, 56 home runs again, you know, like it was nothing, you know, almost up to 60. So his swing is sweetest of all time, great outfielder. He was on his way to being the greatest baseball player maybe that ever lived. But we didn't get to see – the finality of it. And he still ended up hitting 600 home runs. Oh my God, Damien, I don't know. Walter <laughs> Payton was so good. Oh no. You know what? Screw it. I changed my mind. I'm going Griffey. I'm going Griffey. Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, like I said, oh I'm not the God. biggest baseball fan, but when I did watch baseball, Ken Griffey Jr. was my guy. The reason I wore number 24 when I played basketball was because Ken Griffey Jr. wore 24 in Seattle. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it, he was amazing. The swing was great. Um, and I just remember my dad talking about how sweet his swing was because my dad was a baseball player, and he just would always talk about how he wished he had Ken Griffey's swing. Um, it's, yeah, it's a tough one, man, because Walter Payton, you know, second all-time in rushing yards. The, the highlights of Walter Payton played for the Bears for all those years. Oh, man. Right? Oh, this is the toughest one by far. This really Yeah, is. I think this is definitely the toughest matchup. It was a good 8-9 matchup. So the, whoever did these seatings did a good job here. Um, 
<laughs> we're gonna go. I'm gonna go with Ken Griffey Jr. as well, but I wouldn't be surprised if Walter won the fan vote. Yeah, I, I think Walter might win the fan vote. I could be wrong, but man, Griffey, I wish he did not get hurt when he went to Cincinnati. I would love, but still, like I said, even getting hurt, he still managed to hit over 600 home runs. Just un- unbelievable, unreal. Well, we got two more. D can't wait to hear him. Let's do it. So for our next matchup, oh man, another tough one. <laughs> <laughs> so we got Hakeem, the dream Elijah one at the eight going against the guy who knows everything, Bo Jackson. <laughs> Man. I like, well, number one, I know how you feel about Hakeem and how everybody feels about Bo Jackson. And I, I feel the same way about you with Hakeem Elijah one. Yeah. When Jordan left, I know he got his two championships, but completely different players. Obviously he was a center and he moved like no other center, unless you want to say Kareem and maybe Wilt or whatever. Bo Jackson, my problem with him will always be that he didn't have the longevity. He was maybe the best athlete that we ever saw D, but he got stopped short in football and baseball because of all of his back issues. But Hakeem kept playing and playing and winning and winning and was the best center in the league for, I don't know, 12 years, maybe. So I'm going to have to lean to Hakeem the dream. Yeah, this Bo Jackson, man, the legend of Bo is so amazing. Like, I love hearing the stories about people who grew up in Alabama with him and say, like, he would throw a rock 50 yards and hit a pig and kill the pig once. Like, stuff <laughs> like that. <laughs> stuff like that. I love hearing those stories. And you can't even debate if it's true or not because you like – I can see Bo doing it. I can see that happening. Uh, right. <laughs> so, yeah, with Bo Jackson, man, you got to mention the fact that he's still the only guy in history and probably will go down as the only guy in history to make both the Pro Bowl and Major League Baseball All-Star game in his career. Uh, mm. But with Hakeem the Dream – He's my favorite center of all time. The footwork, like you mentioned, one of the greatest defensive players of all time. Uh, one of the few players in history, along with Giannis Antetokounmpo, Michael Jordan, uh, to win both MVP and Defensive Player of the Year in the same year. Uh, you mentioned the two championships, being the best guy on a championship team twice in a row. You, the longevity. Oh, man, Hakeem was a monster. So because of that, I got to go Hakeem. But Bo Jackson, man, like when you talk about pure athleticism, he might just be the best pure athlete of all time. Yeah, yeah, I, w- I would go with that, with like pure athleticism. But yeah, but we're, we have to factor in everything, you know, whether it's championships, how long they played, you know, availability. Like you said, Tim Duncan was always available. Mickey Mantle was like, oh, I don't know if I can play today. I had too much to drink last night. So, yeah, that's a big thing. You know, a lot of that goes into it, no doubt. All right, we got our last one for the first round of the tournament, and then we're going to be coming back with a different tournament. All right, D, let's hear it. Man, so number eight seed, John Elway against number nine, Sugar Ray Leonard. I love Sugar Ray Leonard. He's my second favorite boxer of all time. I grew up watching him. You know, I'd rather watch Sugar Ray Leonard than Mike Tyson, even when I was a kid. That's how much I was into boxing because of my grandfather. I love Sugar Ray Leonard so much, and he is definitely, pound for pound, one of the best ever. But you know how I feel about John Elway. I think that he's the greatest quarterback of all time. I really do. I mean, other than Tom Brady and his champion, I don't want to talk about Tom Brady right now and his championships. He's the number one. We all know that. But John Elway, 
three Super Bowls in the 80s, carried that team with no defense, half-ass wide receivers, no running back. Then he finally got his two and walked out into the sunset. John Elway's, if not number one, number two, best quarterback in my eyes, and Sugar Ray Leonard. He's way up there in boxing, no doubt about it, but I am slightly giving the edge to John Elway here. Mm, this is a tough one. Uh, John Elway, definitely one of the best quarterbacks of all time. And, you know, you talk about a dual, cra- dual threat quarterback. Um, Sugar Ray Leonard, somebody who started off, you know, was able to win championships in multiple divisions. Some of the greatest fights we've ever seen, you know, because of Sugar Ray Leonard. And he, oh man, did it all in the ring. The speed, the power, the showmanship in the ring. The times yeah. where he was still around. We talked about Marvin Hagler. One of the reasons Sugar Ray Leonard won that fight is still around in the last 30 seconds. Just little know-hows that he knew how to do in the ring. That's right. Uh, man, this is a tough one. I'm going to go Sugar Ray Leonard. Yeah, I, I, I don't and I'm even having second thoughts in my head right now because of how many hands of lightning, man. My God, he was fast. God, so good. Oof. I can't wait to hear what, the, what the, the, the audience has to say about this one. This whole 8-9 bracket is just insane right now. I can't wait to see. You guys are going to have to help us out out there with this with every one of these, you know, upsets, whatever it is. How come this guy didn't make it? Whatever. I, we want your feedback. Bring it on. Bring it on. Listen to the show. Give us your feedback, who you like in there. And you're going to have to vote on it. You're going to help us out. So that is our greatest male athletes of all time bracket. Dean, I just busted down the ones through the 16s and everything in between. We're going to get into the NCAA March Madness Tournament when we come back in 30 seconds, guys. And we're going to bring on an extremely special guest to help us out with that one. We'll see you in 30. It's day through my window, I watch her as she passes by. I say to myself, you're such a lucky guy. To have a girl like her is truly a dream come true. Out of all the fellows in the world, she belongs to you. But it was just my imagination running away with me. Here we go, back live, segment three on third and three. And the letter T is what you're hearing in the musical alphabet of third and three podcast today. Whole bunch of great songs, Temptations, Tupac, a whole bunch of great stuff in there. More great coming to you as we just had our greatest male athletes of all time bracket. It's going to keep going down until we get to our number one, the champion. And speaking of champions, we got one with us right now to help us find out who another champion is going to be in the NCAA tournament. And that is Frank Fear, who I introduced earlier, the man 
behind the sports column who represents us every Wednesday night on the third and three podcast. Frank couldn't be happier to have you in and help us break down this tournament going on right now. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing fine, Jason, Damian. Uh, I'm big fans of yours, so it's an honor to be with you tonight. Oh, we're fans of yours, man. Believe me, man. we appreciate everything that you do. And, you know, again, supporting the podcast, tweeting it out, everything like that. So Dee and I are very pleased that you're on today joining us, without a doubt. And Dee, you know, <laughs> we talked about this NCAA tournament. We knew it was going to be crazy, man. Uh, let's see how crazy it is. Let's say I've had Frank break it down for us. I know we got a bunch of questions for him. Why don't you shoot one at him real quick? Yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Frank. And like you said, I'm a big fan of yours and appreciate you supporting us in the way you do. So for my first question, which team has surprised you the most so far in the tournament? Well, you know, it's interesting because obviously this has been a crazy year for everybody, but it's been a crazy year in basketball. It hasn't been a stellar year for the major teams. If you think about Kentucky and Duke and and Michigan State and other teams, they just did not uh, perform the way we expect them to perform. It's really been the year of the bracket buster. Uh, You know, think about a team like Oral Roberts. That was a team that was one game over 500 until uh, very late in the season, and they've gone on a spectacular run all the way to the 16. And, you know, I think uh, a lot of people in this country don't even know that Oral Roberts is a university, and if they do, where it's located. And then you've got other schools like Loyola. Uh, but I think the biggest, the biggest surprise, everybody said uh, the top conferences are the Big Ten and uh, the Big Eight. And, and people were just dismissing the Pac-12. I swear to God, I don't know what the odds were, but if, if, you, if you placed a $100 bet on Oregon State even getting into the tournament, let alone advancing to the Sweet 16, you'd be a very rich person. Four Pac-10 teams are in the are in the are in the Sweet 16. That is absolutely amazing because along with the Oregon schools, Oregon and Oregon State, you have UCLA and USC. I think that's been the biggest surprise to me to see the West Coast schools uh, excel when people really didn't even think that, you know, maybe the conference champion would get in the, uh, the big dance, but, but probably no other teams. Yeah, I mean, this whole year, it's just been crazy. And we, we kind of predicted like, all right, if there's going to be any year, this is going to be the one where we see, you know, a 12 seed win or something like that. But my, I know that you, you know, you're very specific with the mid-majors and you concentrate on them. My question is, I got a bunch for you, but one I'm curious about, and maybe I'm starting to see it more, and maybe why this is happening in the tournament this year and in other years, like when Butler had got there against Duke and whatnot, are more kids going to mid-majors now because maybe they can't get a scholarship at Kentucky or Kansas or whatever it may be? Are more kids being attracted to these mid-major schools? Great question, Jason. Um, my take on this, and I've talked about this and written about it too. I think um, clearly there's been a metamorphosis, I think among the youth. Uh, It's not gonna be too many years before basketball is the primary sport, I think not only in the US, but in the world. Uh, The scope is phenomenal. Uh, I've I've, I've traveled all over the world 
uh, as a university professor. And uh, when it comes to sports, it's basketball that grabs uh, people's attention. I think what's going on is that basketball, from my perspective of the major sports, is the easiest sport to pick up. And it also aligns with the way that kids today think about the world, fast action, um, being able to be more intuitive than actually um, a more strategic play-by-play approach. It flows. And so what you have is a proliferation of these outstanding kids uh, and they're going everywhere. I don't think it's a matter of they can't get into major schools. Some can't academically, but the fact of the matter is the pool is gigantic. And that's why you see schools like Oral Roberts or one of my favorites that I picked, as you probably know, Abilene Christian. Uh, you know, who, who even knew that Abilene Christian was a school? Uh, <laughs> and they really, you know, they were, they dismantled uh, teams going down the stretch. And then they took out Texas, <laughs> you know, the state land-grant university, the state, the straight fl- uh, state flagship university, they took them out. And so you're just seeing a lot of talented guys. Uh, it's not a one-off anymore. You know, when Middle Tennessee beat Michigan State, eh, that's sort of a one-off. Or when Mercer beat Duke. But now, my God, you're seeing, you're seeing these mid-majors uh, Loyola is another example, um, you know, one after the other excelling. And I think we're going to see more of that in the future. And speaking of seeing more of that, there's been a, a lot of talk about Loyola Chicago and how now this is, you know, the second year in three years, because last year they didn't have a tournament, that they've been a legit team in a tournament. Do you see them becoming a team that could be like a Gonzaga going forward? Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, uh, you talked earlier about teams. If you talk about coaches, this Porter Moser is the real deal. I mean, you're the real deal, Damien, but he's the <laughs> real deal of coaches. I'm telling you, um, the thing, and I've written about this just in an article I wrote today, that Loyola team reminds me of the John Wooden teams of decades ago at UCLA. This team plays with their incredible teamwork. They don't get four and five stars, but they, they, get, they get targeted players who play really well together. Defense is solid. Uh, and the, the teamwork is just phenomenal. Um, and you've got a great coach. I think the answer is yes. There's really no reason why Loyola should be there again. If it were for the fact you've got a great coach, who understands talent that fits to that kind of system. And um, this is the, let me give you some data on this. I picked Illinois to be in the final four. It's the only team I picked at the beginning of the tournament that's not still alive. Loyola beat Illinois over the weekend. They, now you gotta, we gotta remember, this is a small school in Chicago, uh, just like Abilene Christian going up against the state flagship university down in Champaign-Urbana. They won the game, but they just didn't win. They shot a higher shooting percentage. They had more rebounds. They had more assists. They had more blocks. And they, they had fewer turnovers. They dismantled the Big Ten champion. They absolutely beat him like a drum. Now, that's a school, I don't know how many students Loyola has, 
but Illinois is a mega university. And so I think the answer is emphatically yes. Just like Gonzaga, who's the odds on uh, favorite to win this year, I'm picking Alabama, but, uh, and I did that before the tournament started because Nate Oates is another great coach. Uh, But the fact of the matter is, yes, you can see, and what's interesting about it, both Gonzaga and, and Loyola do not play in major conferences. Uh, the Missouri Valley Conference for Loyola is not a major conference, and the West Coast Conference for Gonzaga is not a major conference. So you're seeing now teams in mid-major conferences become national powers. That That's another reason I think you're seeing the transformation of college, major college basketball. Frank, you brought a perfect segue up um, from Damien's question where, you know, Damien and I and Nikki have gone about, especially me and D have gone about this back and forth about how the game has changed now in the NBA to all, you know, three-point shooting, and, you know, you're either going to live or die by the three and whatnot. When I watch college basketball, I see more 80s-style NBA where it's team basketball, and I believe that's the reason why these teams are winning, because they're not out to be, you know, one solo show, or I want to shoot a bunch of threes and break this record or that record, and you mentioned the coaching. That's why I think that some of these schools that people either haven't heard about or mid-majors or whatnot, because they're playing five-man team basketball and not just this, you know, crazy stuff that we're seeing in the NBA, I think that goes along again with the coaching, getting these players ready, like you said, to fit a certain system. Oh, you're, I think you're absolutely correct. A good example of that is Syracuse. Uh, <laughs> talk about a throwback. Uh, when I was in high school, you know, you would see zones everywhere. Uh, basketball, for the most part, is not a zone game. <laughs> in fact, you can't play it in the NBA. Uh, there are right. restrictions. Uh, but Syracuse plays nothing but the zone. And when teams go to the tournament, I mean, Syracuse is an 11 seed. An 11 seed. You multiply that by four, which means out of 68 teams, they're in the 40s. And what happens is they get into the tournament. Teams are not used to seeing that zone. Obviously, you've got to play together to play the zone because you're not playing a man. And it's a great equalizer. It's like Army and Navy in college football uh, where they run the triple option. Teams don't see that very often. It's a great equalizer. You know, they run for 250, 300 yards a game, and they win against teams they shouldn't. So if you think about this weekend, uh, the odds-on favorite was West Virginia, and Syracuse won the game because they play a defense you haven't seen. They play as a team. Uh, they don't have all these five stars and four stars. And so you're absolutely correct. I think the gap uh, between the NBA and the college game is not only pretty significant, but I think what you're seeing is for a number of these teams to win, the formula is exactly what you described, Jason. Team play with, uh, with, a, with a schematic of really an outstanding coach. And earlier you mentioned that you picked Alabama. Uh, the odds on favorite is Gonzaga to win a tournament. Um, is there another team in the Sweet 16 outside of those two that we should be looking out for uh, that could really crash the party? Well, I, you know, I think Baylor. I mean, I, when I think about the, the teams that are in the, uh, in, the, in the Sweet 16, let me back up a bit, too, and frame this a little bit more. 
I think what, and I, I predict this, and this is what I wrote today at the SportsCom, I think that what we've seen so far may not be as crazy as we think. Uh, in a lot of tournaments, there, there are upsets in the early rounds. And then if you look in terms of how it proceeds as you move from the round of 32 into 16 and then the Elite Eight, things begin to settle down and you begin to see the teams that you probably thought would be there from the beginning. And I think we're going to see that this weekend. I don't think Oral Roberts is going to survive. I predict that Syracuse will be beaten by Houston. I don't think that some of these other teams that, that are there, I don't, I really don't think either Oregon or Oregon State. Oregon might, uh, might survive because they're playing another Pac-12 team in USC. One of those has to survive. I don't see Oregon State surviving. Uh, and so if I had to pick another team, and I'm going to give you a proviso in a second, uh, it would be Baylor. Uh, Baylor is loaded with talent. Uh, they have another great coach, uh, comes from a great coaching line, uh, and they have terrific athletes. The fly in the ointment for Baylor is they were off, I think, about 25 days. They were ravaged by COVID. This is not the team that was playing at the level of, that it was earlier this year. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big uh, uh, Big 12 fan. I graduated from two uh, Big 12 schools, so I follow that conference pretty closely. And the Baylor that came out of the COVID, the COVID impasse is not exactly the same. And I think because of that, they could get knocked off. Uh, so, you know, um, uh, you know, everybody's talking about uh, Gonzaga, Damian, and they're awfully difficult to, to bet against. Um, they've always, they've been there a number of times. They've never gotten the prize. This may be their year, but I just think there's something about this Alabama team with Nate Oates that, uh, that just, uh, has me. He doesn't have players that have the national rate name recognition that other schools do. Um, but they find a way to win. He, he worked miracles at Buffalo, um, got a reputation went to Alabama and, uh, but, it, but Baylor's that other team that I think, uh, I think could, uh, could take it all. All right. You know, th this brings me to my last question, actually. And it, uh, it kind of fits right in when you're saying how Baylor and they had the COVID situation, not the same team. I was thinking, did they rush the brackets this year and try to just see teams in whatever order they thought they usually would be seated in? Because, Based on everything that we're seeing, it looks like they really screwed the brackets up big time. Now, I don't know if that's, again, true or these other teams are better. Or it's a one-off game. I don't know. But do you think that they maybe rushed the brackets and didn't get it right as far as the seating is concerned? Oh, boy, your guess is as good as mine, Jason. Um, you know, I'm a fan of what's called NET, N-E-T, which is the computer-based system that the NCAA has. It's their system and that the committee uses. Um, and they put, you know, you've probably heard the term quads. They, they put teams in quads. And if you look at, if you look at the net system uh, and where teams were, what teams were selected and what teams weren't and what they were seeded, you can, you can see the committee relied on that very heavily. Having said that, there were, there were things that I just, they were, uh, head shaking 
conclusions. They weren't things like, you know, some people were just really pissed that a school like Colgate, really small school from upstate New York, at one point was ranked eighth in the country and Colgate never played a game all year long outside of the Patriot Conference. And I think they only played about 17 or 18 games altogether. So people were saying, how could that team be eighth? Loyola was 10th. Uh, but, you know, if you if you take a look at, you know, the school that I was affiliated with for decades, Michigan State, Michigan State was ranked 70th, 70th, not 7th, 70th in, <laughs> in the net, and they barely got in, and they had to play a, a play-in game. The, the, the team that got in that I, I'm still shaking my head over, but they've been successful, is Syracuse. I, Syracuse had to win the last three games of the regular season to get over 500 in the ACC. They ended up nine and seven. Uh, then they lost in the ACC tournament. How in the hell they got in? I know they were 11 seed, but how they got in, I don't know. I think every year there are head shakers, and I know a lot of people are upset this year uh, with with uh, with the seedings. Um, but uh, they may have rushed it, but I think you know the whole year was upside down. Uh, you know, I'm not sure they were. I'm not sure when they were absolutely convinced that there was going to be a tournament. I know they didn't want to go two years in a row without a tournament, but right. uh, yeah, it's, it's always a head shaker. And I think they're probably more head shaking this year. Man, you brought so much knowledge, man. Um, can you please let the people know where they can find your work? Yeah, it's at the uh, sports column. Uh, you can go to it's uh, just Google sports column, the, the sports column, or just put in your search in T-H-E-S-P-O-R-T-S-C-O-L.com, the sports com. And I, uh, as, as uh, Jason mentioned earlier, I, uh, I went to a small college. So my specialty is looking at combing all the smaller colleges called the mid-majors. And every year what I do is I do the research on them and then pick a baker's dozen of schools that are smaller that I think could surprise in the first round. And then I follow them through. And we had a number of them like Abilene, Christian, and Loyola, and Drake, uh, three of the teams I, I picked that, uh, that actually won either an opening round or a first round game. But there are other schools in there that, uh, that uh, you know, like University of California at Santa Barbara, that few people have heard of that I knew was a very good team. And then after the first and second round, then I get more conventional as we're talking about now and go into the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, and then the Final Four. And uh, of course, made my picks. Uh, as I said, Illinois is the only school I picked earlier that's not going to be in the, well, is, is out now. The three of the four are still alive. And I think all three that I, that I picked or that are still in the mix, Baylor, Alabama, and Gonzaga will win this weekend. We'll just see. Well, D, let me tell you something. I'm not filling out my own bracket next year. I'm going right to Frank. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's Frank. very kind of you. I'm not a very, I'm not a very good bracket picker. I'm more of a, of, of analyzing each team on its own, uh, in its own uh, right, so to speak. 
and then going from there. But I, <laughs> you may you may want to go elsewhere, Jason. But I'd be happy to help no matter. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. You, you probably taught the both of us more uh, college basketball than we've ever known before in our lives. So we <laughs> honestly, man, we really, really appreciate it. We needed this. It was a great breakdown, and the fans are going to love this absolutely. Well, thank you, and I'm a big fan of yours, and you do a superb job with the NFL, and we just enjoy featuring um, Third and Three podcast every single week, always uh, either Thursday or Friday, as soon as it's up. So thanks, guys, for having me uh, here, and I've really enjoyed it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Frank. And we'll do it again, my friend. We'll definitely do it again. That is Frank Fear, everybody. And I mean, wow, did he break it down. That was excellent, Dean, what he just said. I mean, half of the things I'm like, well, I'm writing so fast to try to keep up with it because I don't know these things. And, you know, that he, he really broke it down. He knows these schools. And wow, that was very impressive. Yeah, it was. No, he definitely came with knowledge. And I truly, truly appreciate what he brought to the table. And like you said, next year, I'm definitely going to look to him to help out with everything that's going on. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I mean, seriously, that was an excellent job. Frank Fear again, the man behind the sports column who represents us, rep represents the show. Uh, unbelievable. And a great guy himself. He really is fantastic. So, so glad that he came on. We'll have him on again. Um, he's, he knows his knowledge. That's that's for sure. And we got some knowledge coming up right now, man. Normally, it'd be knowledge with Nikki, But the last segment of the day is going to be knowledge with the nomads, the wanderers, me and Damien, who pick different sort of questions than tricky Nikki does over here. So we'll see how it goes this time. Uh, I think we got, what is it, six each today, right? Yes, sir. All right. All right. So we're going to do some NBA. We're going to do some NFL. Um, Damien, I feel like you're ready for question number one. I'm going to give it to you right here. So we'll go back to back. All right. I'll all do right. one. You. All right. Here we go. For, what do you want? NFL or NBA first? Uh, let's go NFL first. NFL first. Okay. Here we go. The Patriots made 11 Super Bowls. Three teams have made eight Super Bowls, which is the second highest. Can you name those three teams? Oh, uh, let's go with the Dallas Cowboys. That's one. Um, let's go with the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's two. Ooh, who's the third team to eight Super Bowls? I'm going to go with, I feel like I'm going to be so mad if I get this wrong. <laughs> the 13 to make eight Super Bowls. I have a feeling I know who you're debating in your head. Let's see. You got the first two. Is it the Denver Broncos? I love my man, D. That a boy, bro. Give him a couple. <laughs> seconds and he's going to come through with it i thought you were going to say 49ers but you can't damn good for you man excellent job dallas pittsburgh and the denver broncos all made it to the super bowl eight times behind the patriots who made it 11 one for one d excellent job bro that's funny you knew exactly what was going on in my head i was going back and forth between san fran and denver oh yeah bro i know you we're brothers now that i know you man <laughs> <laughs> all right so for your first one do you want nba or nfl uh, I'll stick with the NFL. 
Okay. So this is a multiple choice question. Ooh. All right. Who led the league in receptions in 1999? Was it Randy Moss, Jerry Rice, Chris Carter, or Jimmy Smith? Ooh, um, wow, that's a good question. 1999? Yes. Jimmy Smith was killing it for the Jaguars. I'm going to have to go with him. That is correct. Jimmy Smith in oh. 1999 had 116 receptions. All right, all right, all right. I was a little nervous there. I thought you were trying to trip me with the Rice and the, and the Raiders maybe or something like that. I was like, oh, man, I don't know. He's sneaky. But okay, all right. We each got one. All right, next one for you. Uh, you want to stick with the NFL and fin- do another one, NFL one, or you want to go in NBA? Uh, let's stick with the NFL. All right, NFL. This one will probably be the toughest one. All right. Who was, actually, I might give you this. This is what I'm going to do. Tony Eason was the quarterback for the Patriots against the Bears in 1985. Who, I'm sorry, real quick. Tony Eason ended up coming out of the game near the end of the first half, the quarterback for the Patriots. Who replaced him? This wow. is tough. Yeah, yeah it's tough. Um, <laughs> like, and it's funny because I mentioned earlier the 85 Bears were a little bit before my time. Um, That's right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, I have I have no clue who came in the game for him. It, it, you know what? It's tough. I'm like, he knows so much about football. I'm like, I'm going to try to just give him one really, really hard one. I, you know what? I don't even know if I would have got it right. Steve Grogan, not obviously a oh, big wow. Yeah, that, that was the tough one. I was like, oh, this is really hard, but he might get it. He's a smart dude. He knows his stuff. But, yeah, no, that one was definitely tough, man. That was a tough one. No, I'm glad you have faith in me, but, yeah, I had no clue on that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so do you want an NFL or NBA one? Yeah, I'll stick with the NFL. All right, so we're sticking with the same theme, receptions, and it's going to be multiple choice. Who led the league in receptions in 2008? Was it TJ Husmanzada, Andre Johnson, Wells Walker, or Marcus Colston? 2008. So we got, say him one more time. This is our TJ Husmanzada, Andre Johnson, Wells Walker, or Marcus Colston? I'm going to say Wes Walker. That is a good guess, but he was 2007 and 2009. 2000, oh. 2008 was Andre Johnson with 115 catches. Mm, great question, man. Great question. Yeah, I was, I'm I thinking of Wes Walker caught all those balls and up right in the middle. Good one. Excellent. Nice question. All right. Let me give you my last football one over here. Here we go. Um, what happened to my thing over here? All right. Excuse me. When the Seattle Seahawks won their Super Bowl, their first one against the Denver Broncos, who was the MVP? Oh, who was the MVP that year? I want to go with Bobby Wagner. That is such a great, I feel like giving you half credit on it because it was Malcolm Smith, the other linebacker, Uh. Bobby Wagner. That, that's that really that was a great guess it really was because Bobby Wagner I thought actually should have won it and Malcolm Smith ended up winning it but linebacker Seattle I'm going like half a point on that one that's pretty good that's pretty good 
because not a lot of not a lot of defensive players win MVPs and Super Bowls. You know, straight up, I think maybe eight in the history. So that's not bad, right there. That's pretty good. No, that was a great question. All right. So for your third football question, we're going back to receptions. Who led the league in receptions in 2013? Was it Pierre Gonçal, Roddy White, Calvin Johnson, or Antonio Brown? Um, 2008. 2013. Okay. Um, oh, I'm sorry, 2013. Jesus Christ, 2013. I don't think Brown was putting up those numbers then. I think it was Roddy White. That's a good guess, but the answer was Pierre Gonçal. Really, huh? Damn. Wow. Yeah, had 113 receptions for the Washington football team that year. Wow. Good question, man. 113 catches for Pierre Garçon. Not bad. Yeah, I remember he started balling out even more in Washington. Good question, bro. All right. All right. So we got our three footballs, and now we got to do our basketballs, huh? Yes, sir. All right. NBA action time. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Question number one for my man right here. Will Chamberlain holds the record for rebounds per game in NBA history. Who is second? Oh, that's a good one. Who is second? I'm going to go with Bill Russell. That's the boy. That's my man, Bill Russell. I, I was thinking, I'm like, yeah, maybe he'll overthink it a little bit, but that's my man right there. My boy knows basketball. Bill Russell is definitely the answer. Excellent. All right. So for your basketball questions, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, three-pointers. <laughs> <laughs> my brother, I love you. All right. <laughs> All right. So who led the league in three-point field goals made in the 03-04 season? It's multiple choice. Was it Tracy McGrady, Reggie Miller, Peja Stojakovic, or Ray Allen? Mm. So this is three-point field goals made in the 03-04 season. Your choices are Tracy McGrady, Reggie Miller, Peja Stojakovic, or Ray Allen. In that year, um, man, I'm thinking Pager. Oh, man, good. Yep, it was Pager Stoyakovich. It was? Okay, all right. Yeah, he made 240 three-pointers that year. Oh, wow, damn. Steph Curry doubled that up when he got into the league pretty easily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, second NBA question. Here we go. Put on your thinking cap for this one, brother. There are two current NBA players in the top 20 in rebounds per game. All right. Two current NBA players in top 20 rebounds per game. Who are they? Uh, I know one is Andre Drummond. That's absolutely true. Okay. Uh, the second one, I'm going to go Dwight Howard. Yep. Are you, are you killing it, man? You are <laughs> killing it. Way to go. I didn't even think and cap my ass. You were on that shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent job. All right. Doing well. All right. Doing. For your second basketball question, who led the league in three-point field goals made in the 08-09 season? Was it Ray Allen, Rashard Lewis, J.R. Smith, or Iso Joe Johnson? Give it to you one more time. Who All led right. the league in three-point field goals made in the 08-09 season? Was it Ray Allen, Rashard Lewis, J.R. Smith, or Joe Johnson? Johnson. Wow. I almost forgot about him. Uh, and this is 09. 
Um, oh, nine, oh, nine. Actually, I think, I think Ray Allen did win, did, did have the most in 09, no? Uh, it was, no, it wasn't Ray Allen, good guess. Um, yeah. But the correct answer was Rashard Lewis. It was Rashard, damn it. All right. yeah, that season balled out for the Orlando Magic as they made it to the finals with Dwight Howard that year. Sure did. I remember that. Wow, that's right. Yep, 09. I remember. Oh, geez. Good question. That was really good. Very good question. All right. Let me get to my third. You're killing it right now. Third and final question. Here we go. This is going to do with draft picks. A lot of drafting going on over here. So my question to you, my friend, is who was the first overall draft pick in the year of... 1998. Oh, first pick in the 1998 NBA draft. And I'm gonna give you the team. I'm going to give you the team also because it's not that easy. The Clippers. Oh, the Clippers. So most likely a bust. Okay. Nineteen ninety eight. Yep. It's funny because there's a lot of players from that draft I remember. I know it was Vince Carter, Paul Pierce was that year. I think Dirk was that year as well. But none of them were first. Smart guy. Oh, Michael Oldwood Candy. I can't believe you. Really? <laughs> How did you get that, man? How did you get that? 1998, Michael Oldwood Candy. Oh, my D. I am applauding the hell out of you today, man. You were freaking rocking this shit i can't believe it i mean i mean i can believe it you're smart as hell and you know your stuff but damn are you killing it today oh <laughs> man i i i have to i have to i have to hit the right <laughs> i appreciate it i got one more question for you way to go bro i'm very impressed and i shouldn't be impressed because i know how smart you are but awesome job thanks man oh. i appreciate it so let's see if we can end it on a high note so you can get this last one all right. All right. Who led the league in three-point field goals made in the 99-2000 season? Gary Payton, Ray Allen, White Chocolate, Jason Williams, or Nick mm-hmm. Van Exel? Give it to you one more time. Who Ooh. led the league in three-point field goals made in the 99-2000 season? Gary Payton, Ray Allen, White Chocolate, Jason Williams, or Nick Van Exel? I love how you mix up the players in the way that you do. It's very well done. No hints, no nothing. Just, you know, I remember Nick Van Exel. Wow, he was fun. You know, it's funny because I want to say Ray Allen now. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Um, uh, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to have to say Ray Allen again. He's been. <laughs> it wasn't Ray Allen. Like I put Ray Allen in each one. <laughs> but he it wasn't Ray Allen. The correct answer, I was surprised when I looked this up. It was actually Gary Payton. Okay, it was Gary Payton. I knew it wasn't White Chocolate. I definitely knew it wasn't him. But uh, all right, Gary Payton. Okay, that many threes, really? Yeah, wow. he made 177 that year, which wouldn't be in the top 10 now. Um, but yeah, he made 177 Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, well, hey, the glove can shoot the three also, man. I'll take that on a high note. Why not? He was another one of my draft picks. Yeah, I love it. Draft picks coming up all over the place today. Damn <laughs> Fun. I had such a good time. This was great. I love that we got our bracket going on right now. 
And Nikki's going to be back next week with us. We're going to have a whole lot of fun with that. I can't wait to hear what she's got to sing. With the boxing, we're going to let her know more of that. We'll get into unpopular opinions, dinner fight club. But today was great doing our, bright, our bracket, having Frank Fear come in here with the NCAA tournament, our knowledge with nomads that we just did, and, of course, going through NFL free agency. Again, D, I, I had a blast. Can't do it without you. Wouldn't want to do it without you, bro. If, if it wasn't for you, I'd be watching TV right now. So I'm happy that I'm doing this, my man. I love you. Awesome job. Can't wait to get Nikki back next week. But for that, D, you got other shows. You got other things happening. Let the people know. Yeah, man, I had an awesome time on the show. Thank you again to Frank Fear for coming on. He definitely killed it. Um, you can find my show, The Real Deal with Damian Adams, wherever you listen to this show. So wherever you listen to this show right now, go ahead and search The Real Deal with Damian Adams. If you're still looking for a show to listen to, just listen to mine from yesterday and go ahead and continue to listen and listen to great content. You will enjoy it. Uh, make sure you follow me on all social media platforms at The Real Deal WDA. Man, great show, Jason. I really enjoy like every week. Yeah, yeah, really. Every week, it just seems like it gets better and better and better. And I love the NBA draft that we had. I mean, I, we've been on fire lately, just having so much fun. I mean, that's the main reason why we do this is because we have fun doing it. That is the number one reason. And again, guys, I am Jason Fearman at Sports Profit One on Twitter. That's the number one. Of course, follow us at Third and Three Podcast. We'll follow you right back subscribe you know we're all about the fans and the people we love you guys other podcasts where we give our shout outs every week and we'll be back next week to break down more bracketology ncaa style and greatest male athlete of all time style d awesome show had so much fun can't wait for next week bro oh definitely can't wait man until next time deuces we out peace That's all, folks.